Hello everybody and welcome back to Bond by Numbers. Thank you very much for joining us. It has been a little bit of a, a wait for this episode, but we're, we're delighted to have you back Very here. delighted. Um, my name is Scott Powell and I'm joined as always by the voices in the background. You can hear oh. them there. Jeffrey Chapman and Joshua. I'm Jeff in case you get confused because Josh started talking when he said my name. I'm Jeff. That was Josh. This is true. Yes. That was just me being <laughs> Josh. Yep. And this is just us launching our three non-bonds for this series. Very exciting. It's three non-bond right. season again. That's right. It's, it's fun. It's, it's fun. fun. I personally fun. love film and I love action and spy movies. So I love talking about them. And since we kind of went through all the James Bond movies, it's nice to go back and do movie reviews for spy films, right? So... And if you're not familiar with, uh, or if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, our previous seasons where we've done three non-bonds, it's basically your three hosts, each picking a film um, kind of separate from the other, uh, isolated from conversation, which uh, we then present to the rest of the group and we go away and watch it and we treat it the same way we treat our our James Bond reviews with mm-hmm. story, acting and atmosphere, mm-hmm. money penny grades out of 10. And we still do the, you know, the, the production deep dives and all the chat about it. But it's uh, it's just a fun time of year where we can look at how Bond has influenced other types of films uh, and or indeed what what Bond has gleaned from other popular films or less popular right. films. And then we uh, we just uh, we work it into the milieu of James Bond through conversation and uh, feature heavy analysis. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. It has, as I said, been a little while since our most recent episode, but uh, we're back. Right at the top of my head, in terms of connecting this to James Bond, the Bourne Identity was mm-hmm. uh, a formative uh, moment in the spy in the spy action genre, and its style and its influence, one hundred percent attest, led to Casino oh, Royale in two thousand six. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, few would deny uh, that. Go, yeah, I mean, I if you look, just look, if you look at it, sort of from a date and. And the style, like, let's say go for, like, 2002 on, it's, like, pre-born movies and, and then post mm-hmm. or, you know, during uh, contemporary. And you can just see how that genre has uh, changed sort of action filmmaking, the espionage spy mm-hmm. genre of film, and even television shows. Look at the like, person of interest. Look at the style of action. Uh, and the way it was filmed, and that is very similar to the board movies. All all these new sort of uh, TV shows uh, that have espionage, spy thrillers, a- even even what about like J. J. police dramas, Alias. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's like it's that style. Anyways, well, you know, I I might have to throw a spanner in the works here, Jeff. You're allowed. Uh, I know this no, is your fine. choice, yeah, the board yeah, identity. Yeah. You you're starting us off here, and I I want to get to your reason for mm-hmm. picking this film as I'm sure listeners <laughs> do as well. But I have to say, as I, I, I've got to say, I don't think all action films have been influenced oh, okay. by Bourne because I've heard of a little movie by Michael Flatley <laughs> oh, that I don't ah, think has much at all okay. to do that's how it is now, with, with okay. Bourne, okay. Bourne wow. films. And I'm, I'm speaking about Blackbird. You may have heard of this, everybody. You may have heard of Blackbird, but it's getting down the pan, washed <laughs> in the toilet over here. I, I see your carrot, and I'm, I'm slowly trying to nibble at it. So, okay, <laughs> <I'm> sure. <laughs> you got me. 
Yeah. Has this made waves over there yet? Blackbird and Michael Flatley Dance Lord Productions is is that made it? Uh, not yeah. really. I, the post that you sent us in a text was the only inclination. <laughs> I haven't even <laughs> was heard the only it. indication. And, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it's a film that uh, the Lord of the Dance himself, Riverdance, uh, Michael Flatley, has put together. He directed it. He produced it. He wrote it. He stars in it. But it's not a vanity project. So it's not Lord of the Rings. It's not the Lord of the Rings. It's Lord of the Dance, the Dance of Power, I guess. The big, the big. So would it have been a big like Amazon production with two billion dollar budget or something? Or (laughs) Spy Dance? Is it Spy Dance? Uh, Negative. You know, it's it's funny. There's there's lots being written about the film right now because apparently it does suck quite a lot. And it's an easy target. It's an easy target. I get it. But I haven't seen it yet, so I'll reserve my judgment. Okay. But uh, I just thought that in terms of films that were influenced by Bourne, from everything I've read, okay. I just so think this one. If you're gonna if you're gonna write an op-ed of this, I'm I just thought mm-hmm. of a good title. I think you should say Burn After Watching. You know, if we go after like Burn After maybe it's Burn <laughs> yeah. After yeah. Watching. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Burn after watching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Black Blackbird, gents. Uh, from everything I understand, and from the reviews, uh, it's about the secret agent whose code name is Blackbird. He retires, and he opens up a nightclub in the Caribbean. Which, oh. for, for everything that I I can I can ascertain, yeah. it's a little bit like Bogart. Yeah. And by a little bit, I mean right down to the <laughs> ivory tux, okay, the ivory suit. He does this to escape uh, his past, and a former oh lover my, comes oh to meet him goodness. and brings trouble all, with her. Of all the dance clubs in all, all the Caribbean. Yeah, no, you right? had to come to this one. Yeah, you had to stroll into mine. Uh, anyway, that, that's the idea. I don't know if you guys check out the uh, – there he is. Oh, the man and right so there. he's got a Hawaiian shirt of people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the post. Oh my god! So this was re- this was uh, released in 2018, but it didn't get a, a wide release until now. And uh, I'm I'm wondering if Flatley's hoping, or wishing that he never did, because it's by all accounts laughable. Uh, it's a spy movie that's a vanity project, well, but whatever, you know. What would it be as bad well, or good as Michael Scott's? Uh, what is it? Oh, uh, threat level threat midnight. Level min- yeah, threat, threat level uh, midnight. I like how you were about you were about to I say like the Iron Maiden song. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, well, Iron Maiden one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking yeah. of no the, Mike, the Michael Scarn movie, right? Three minutes Actually, to midnight or three yeah. seconds. Uh, I was watching. My, I was my sister. I was watching The Office with my sister recently, and they actually used uh, John Powell's Born motif in that episode. Uh, Did they? Yeah, really? Michael right. Scott basically no edited way. it in. I guess. Oh yeah! <laughs> wow. Okay. It's universal, yeah. so I guess they had the copyright. So I suppose. Well, oh yeah, yes, they, they would have. They would have. Yeah. NBC Universal. So, but I'm not quite sure which of those two, Josh, is uh, is going to end up on the <laughs> on the critics' shelf. We'll have know. to wait and see. But yeah, so that's one thing that's making news over here. Another thing that's making news over here, quite silly, really, and, and nice to nice to fanboy it, I suppose. But um, John Williams did a 90th. Uh, birthday interview with Classic oh, yes. FM, and in it he said that he would love to do the music mm-hmm. for James Bond. That is... uh, now the trouble is he's ninety years right. old, and given how long it takes Bond films to be made, <laughs> he'll probably be you know uh, past his bestest ninetieth. Yeah. You know, by the time that opportunity rolls Come around, on, Barbara. Come anyway, on, that, Michael so G. that's got people actually clickbaiting them over just here. Just like someone should just you like know? petition yeah. Barbara and Michael G. Wilson. You know, like, hey, John Williams is waiting for you. Go cast a Bond. Yeah, really. Yeah. Oh, somebody will have passed that little nugget on. That that's no, not going to change the the goalposts for anything no. with Bond. But it's an interesting thing, you know. And and he talked about John Barry, and he you know he had a little bit of 
you know, sharing in that enthusiasm. And he was talking about British music and stuff. But uh, in terms of specific Bond news, obviously, we have to talk about Kim Sherwood's book, uh, Double or Nothing. That's out now, uh, released. This is a really interesting uh, time, really, for, for the Bond literary world. We've got not just a new writer, but uh, the first female writer who's really, I mean, outside of Joanna Harwood and these Bridge. other you know, really important figures in the franchise, of course, yeah. But in terms of the literary stories, the expanded or the continuation novels and things, uh, Kim Sherwood marks uh, the, the first of this. And this is an interesting story. I haven't yet read it. I'm waiting, Josh, until we finish our, uh, our current Gardner, work yeah. on Icebreaker. And after and and after that, I'll uh, I'll get into it. But yeah, it's supposed to be a really interesting premise. Bond is missing, and you're instead of following James Bond, you're following, uh, you know, a team kind of out in the expanded okay. Bond verse. You know, it it should be it should be interesting. It's getting really good reviews, and uh, I've seen a couple of the press pieces that uh, Sherwood's done, a couple of interviews, and she's yeah, she holds herself really well. She seems like a fantastically talented an interesting person. And I think bringing a new perspective, you know, a, a new fem- a strong female perspective to the, the bond Amen. role. This would be really cool. And, uh, well, well overdue. Over, yeah. Overdue. yeah, absolutely yeah, exactly. overdue. <laughs> so yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But, uh, I know, look, there's, there's lots of other stuff going on in the bond world. We know that. And you guys listening to us, you know, that this is not why you come here. You don't come here to to get your Bond news, you come here to get, you go to MI6 Confidential <laughs> yeah. James Bond and Friends, or you go somewhere else for that. You're here just to hear us spraff on about, about Which we films. appreciate. And as we said, yes. it is the start. <laughs> we do. We do. We <laughs> certainly do. And it is the start of our uh, three non-Bond series, and I'm really excited. Now, Jeff, getting back to the uh-huh. point, buddy, uh, before we move into production notes on this film, why did you decide for this year, after last year's left-hand curveball with the quiller <laughs> memorandum which was an awesome, yeah. awesome yeah, was, choice yeah. you've delivered us uh, a staple here you've given I us did a- and i know i part of me was like oh it's so you know like mainstream oh my god you know it's like but honestly it's one of my favorite action movies of the last 20 years i mean i've been a fan of it for a long time but that doesn't mean like i'm going to be as objective as i can uh you know and i understand that and um but i thought you know it, it's a great movie and uh, again that's my opinion but we'll talk about it but uh I mean, it if it checks off all the boxes uh, for what we would look for for films, and it's definitely you know similar to the style of, of Bond. So I think it's right in the neighborhood. So I thought, why not? I mean, people have talked about it at nauseum for the last twenty years, uh, good or bad, and just what it's done for films, action films, um, the influence, and, and even just and the influence and even just uh, how it mm-hmm. has made some careers and, and, and helped careers and production and, and, you know, in front of the camera. So I was like, you know what? I mean, it was an, it was an easy choice, but uh, so I just thought, okay, I didn't, it, it was, it's usually on one of my uh, rewatch lists. I haven't watched it in a few years, but it'll be good uh, conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Fodder. Yeah. And it is. And it is. And I think in a way, guys, it's kind of like the the elephant in the comparative room because, you know, we've we've danced around it and <laughs> yeah, its influence yeah. Yeah. and its editing with the with the Craig era films. And I think this is cool that we're we're going back to do this now and that we've we've taken a while to get yeah. there. I'm quite happy we, with that. We took our measured time to get well, to you know? We would get there That's eventually, cool. obviously. Yeah. But yeah. I mean there was a we have that we mentioned it too. here and there yeah. in passing. Yeah. Exactly. But I think most podcasts uh, talking about Bond and the like will probably mention Born here and there just because of what it is and with film. Yeah. 
Nice Absolutely, one. Jeff. Like I agree with you on the influence and how important <clears throat> it is to the Bond, uh, to the Bond film franchise, as well as to the um, overall spy genre. You know, uh, I first saw this film in the theater when it didn't we see together. No, I saw it with a bunch of people. You, oh. I saw it with a bunch of people from uh, Food Basics, where I used to work, which is a grocery oh, store here. Okay, and we okay. and we just went after work after a right. shift. Where it's like, hey, want to go right, see a movie? Right, right, right. Sure, why not? You know, something to do. And so I went and saw the film, and I wasn't really. I remember seeing the trailer in the theater, and I thought, okay, is this like the talented Mr. Ripley again? Like, well, <laughs> it, but like more in a modern <laughs> yeah. in a modern context. Okay. So it really didn't interest me. I didn't okay. really know about it. I just thought they're trying to make Matt Damon into an action star, you know, when he was more of like the indie, the indie guy, mm -hmm. right? Like Goodwill Hunting and and, and stuff time, like, yeah, and stuff was, like that, right? Is, so yeah. I went to the movie kind of, you know, with like, you know, low expectations. And I was surprised and going, and I was very surprised. Like, it reminded me of like some of the older spy movies that I saw before and movies like Ronin, for example, with that whole Euro feel to it, you know? And I just thought like, wow, that was actually a lot better than I thought it would be. And you know, and, and then when Supremacy came out the year after, which I loved even more than the first movie, I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. This is right now compared to like the shit show, sorry, uh, crap show that <laughs> Die Another Day was in the same year of release in 2002. Like this was a refreshing return to good spy stuff. And, you know, and that's why, you know, it's always been nostalgically, I've been very fond towards the Born Identity for that, right? So. To me, it, it brought back some of the grittiness of the earlier Bonds, of the Fleming Bond. Like it, was, it allowed that to come back under the surface and get rid of like the and get rid of the the Roger Moore esque, you know, big escapades that you saw in Die Another Day. That was that Brosnan was gradually creeping towards, right? Um, bigger and better, and but louder and more obnoxious in in, in that kind of sense. There, there is though. There is one big Roger Moore type moment in this film, or maybe it's a Pierce Pierce moment. We can talk about okay. it when we get there. But I like yourself, I Josh, I I saw this film. Yeah, I saw this movie in the in the cinema as well. I enjoyed. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, spectacle. I enjoyed it. it it's kind of action. Um, I think I was trying to think too hard okay. about it at the time. I think I was really trying to really get. I, I think I might have twisted myself up. It's actually quite a straightforward yeah. story. It's not wow. as challenging. It's not as challenging as I think it, it wants yes. to look to be. If that's what I'm, if that makes any sense to you. And I think I got trapped in, in thinking that there was more yeah. there than there really is in terms of like red herrings and double crosses and all this stuff. And realistically, it's a pretty straight ahead narrative. You know, there are, there are, there's subterfuge yeah. and secrecy, but it's not really withheld from the yeah. audience too much. So I, I, I really enjoyed this experience on rewatch just I was because <laughs> it enabled me to iron out some of yeah. that stuff that I wasn't too sure on I'm the first time. I'm pretty sure around. you threw us but, a bone saying yeah. that you were not a huge fan. Well, he said he uh, wasn't thrilled. Film. That's what but he said. He wasn't thrilled. thrilled. Which is yeah. fine. And again, maybe you probably haven't watched it as many times as Josh and I for sure. <laughs> and if you had watched it once or twice, you know, if you had watched it in the theater, then maybe one other time on DVD or something else, that's still almost like 18, 19 years ago. If you watched it, because if we we all watched yeah, in the theater, yeah. so that would be twenty years ago. And Josh, I'm pretty sure I'm. Uh -huh. I'm you know what? I'm sure I think you, I said, you know what? You should see this movie, The Born Denny Man. It's awesome. Let's go. I went for a second time. Yeah, I, I went for the second time I watched for it you. With you. I, yeah. I did absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Because even you were like, really? That was actually good. And I said, yeah, man. Let's go. I go to a matinee, and, and we went and we went <laughs> yeah. to a matinee, and you were like, wow, that was actually awesome. I'm like, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 
and I kept a pen in my pocket ever since. <laughs> Not just right, to write yeah. with, in case there was a a John no. Berenthal two thousand, you know, blonde highlighted lookalike mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. crashed through my window, and I'd stab him. Yeah, those highlights, man. Frosted like, tips. He did look like John Berenthal. He did look like oh, frosted he did. tips. He looked like a. Ninety-eight degrees, or yeah, yeah, story cast. But hey, he was good. That's good incognito. He was good, like Euro trash, oh, like incognito, right? It was good. But, but yeah. can Lance Bass, uh, like, continue to fight with a compound fracture of the ankle yeah. and then get up on his own steam mm. and jump out of a window? That's a good question. What was his name? I don't uh, know. Well, he was going to go to space, wasn't he, Lance Bass? They were going to send him up to space. Or something. <laughs> I'm sure they yeah. were. <laughs> I admit, no, I think he was. I think he was legitimately did, wanting did to go, go to space or something. Oh. No, it wasn't. No, no, no. Anyway, whatever. It's, it's, <laughs> it don't matter. But yeah. But yeah. And he had like the Red Cross, the oh, red dear. cross shirt, right? Remember like, uh, that sequence? He has like a Red Cross, oh, which is yes. kind of interesting. Is he like an international member of the Red Cross? And he was just like off-duty volunteering. And he kills people. And I guess maybe that... I thought it was more like the. Well, that's what I was thinking. Kempler. Kempler. Yeah. Kempler. Oh yeah, You're, yeah, and he is blondish, so he's going for that whole like <laughs> yeah. Teutonic right, Brotherhood yeah. thing. Yeah, holy land. Yeah, I guess, right, and yeah. and they are they part are. of a brotherhood. So they is are. Treadstone oh, the new sense. Knights Templar, or that is a the space. <laughs> <laughs> well, the movie has the commentary on U.S. foreign policy. Well, listen, so, I mean, you could look at it that way. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You could, yeah. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's time to break into some production notes. Now, we don't have a Cubby's Corner for this because each of our three selections for the three non-Bonds film season is uh, Lyman's Locker. I like like it. it. I like Lyman's Locker. I like it. That's good. That's a good one. Let's slide on over and see how smelly Lyman's Locker is. It's full of fruit flies and old scripts. Well, I would say at this point in his career, Probably. there's definitely a lot of potpourri in that original locker. So, you know, all of the old punk <laughs> has been taken away, you know, of his indie <laughs> career. Uh, we know Doug Lehman. He started out. Yeah. His, his breakthrough movie was Swingers, uh, which also brought uh, Vince Vaughn and John Favreau to fame. Hell yeah. It was based off a script by Amen. It was based off John Favreau's real life and, uh, you know, it launched their careers. But Doug Lehman... Uh, as you were saying earlier to, to us, Scott, that uh, it took him a while to get the rights from Robert Ludlum to make this movie. And one of the main reasons mm-hmm. why he wanted to make this film is that his father was a lawyer, but who worked with the government and with the CIA. And his Arthur, Arthur Lehman uh, was his name. And he was uh, part of the of the investigation on the Iran-Contra dealings in the uh, mid-80s. And, right, yeah. Uh, which involved, of course, the famous Oliver North, so who was the the, the American officer who was involved in all that, right? So, yeah, so that's kind of like uh, the background that Doug Lehman had. He went to uh, Brown University, and that's where he kind of like developed an artistic career and stuff. And he ended working up with uh, a screenwriter, Tony Gilroy, but it took him a while to get the rights from Ludlam. Do you have any information on that? I think you said you had something about Robert Ludlam mm-hmm. and getting the rights and, and whatnot. 
Yeah, um, just a little bit. I know that Lehman wanted these rights, as you as you say, and that he was using his dad's kind of memoirs to kind of inspire and fuel himself towards a story of this particular nature. And so there is, as, as I think we'll see when we when we get into it, there's a lot of Reagan era mm-hmm. feeling to this the kind of backroom politics and these sort of groups that have been the, the whole treadstone idea. I know Jeff's going to go into yeah. that one with us when he gets there, but there's a lot of that sort of feeling here and you can see how that's been come out. But the 1988 television um, miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain, which is really nebulous and long oh. in the tooth. I think that thing kind of put Ludlam off any interest in yeah. doing this again. And that's kind of the the way the material was defended. I mean, I, I'm speaking, you know, prosaically, but generally speaking, that that's kind of how I understand it to be. And so the talks were about two years in length. I mean, you know, multiple lunches yeah. and kind of convincing discussions that no, we're not doing it that way. Here's my vision for it. But uh, he, yeah, he he really wanted to do it. He, yeah, he and, loved I the mean, book. Like, when, you're right to say the swingers. He, is, he loved the book gr- gr- growing up. I read too, so he was very much adamant about. Yeah, it. and it. And it was as he he was doing press junket for Swingers when he was at an airport, picked up a copy of this again, remembering that he liked it as a young guy and read it and was like, yeah, this I want this to be my next film. Now, it didn't turn out to be his <laughs> next film, right. but it was very close yeah. to his next film, right? Um, I know that with respect to the production, uh, you guys might want to talk about mm-hmm. this yourselves, but... Um, Oh, no, actually, wait. I want to go back to that 1988 sure. miniseries. I'll edit this yeah. in properly. <laughs> that 1988 miniseries, which 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 I have to go on record in saying I haven't seen. I've just heard quite a lot about it. It has all sorts of trouble, though, apparently. But for Bond fans, it stars Shane Rimmer as Conklin, who's that Canadian oh. actor that you might better know as Commander Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's why who loved me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he also starred in yep. You Only Live Twice, remember, as in the radio yeah. operator. Diamonds Are Forever as an uncredited uh, Tom, yeah. and also he provided the voice for Hamilton in uh, for uh, Hamilton in Live and Let Die, which is pretty cool. So Shane Rimmer, Canadian guy, was in that original. He was also in series, like, and here he is. And stuff in, uh, like here that, we are yeah. in a remake. Yeah, ah, that's a good show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, famously, uh, yeah. now, as for uh, and also oh, uh, like yeah. if you following like uh, in comic book films, he was actually in the first of the Nolan. Uh, of, of the of the Batman Nolan trilogy, uh, the dark the uh, Batman Begins. He's actually almost like in the same kind of role that he would mm-hmm. be in Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, the, he was monitoring the Gotham City's hydro uh, when Rajal Ghul is trying to basically tr- turn it all into like mm-hmm. uh, fear gas, essentially. Right. Uh, I'm not really describing that in detail, but I'm cool. just going over it. But yeah, I recognize him instantly on screen. When I saw him, everyone when I watched the movie was like, oh, look, it's young Joffrey Baratheon. But no, I recognize Shane Rimmer because that's the guy in The Spy Who Loved Me. And everyone's like, who are you talking about? I'm like, that's (laughs) – never mind. Never mind. (laughs) Yeah. It's my little piece of history. My little piece of heaven. Um, You know, one of the things that Lyman did, and I'm so pleased that they did it for this story, uh, but I'll only mention it here because it does connect to Ludlum's text – is the kind of way that they changed the Marie yeah. character because in the novel, in the novel, she's very much like a Fleming Bond girl, like a, a, in, in the cut of Tiffany Case or Pussy Galore or Vivian Michelle. These women who are sexual assault victims, um, they have a lot of you know baggage and a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity about trust men and all of that stuff in the novel. And 
um, born comes into her life and kind of saves her and restores her faith in masculinity. I, I just think that the film should be credited for not going there. This particular film, I know it's much later on. It's, you know, 15 or 14 years later, but thankfully like 2002 is just a little less bigoted, yes. you know, like they're not, it's just not gone there. But I thought it was neat, neat because Ludlam has obviously inherited that. And in Fleming, of course, got it from his own upbringing, his own life right. his own yeah. Yeah. bigoted upbringing yeah but just that that borrowed sense of oh women can be effective they can have agency but if they're scarred sexually then they need the right man to come in and so in the book there was still that bond magic penis feeling oh really as, insofar okay. as born had the magic penis you know what i mean like because that's not the so impression you get in the movie at it's, all yeah, it's almost like no. she is actually no no so i'm really glad they changed yeah, that she is actually more of a motivating factor for his sort of arc yeah in, in many ways of she's almost like his conscience mm -hmm. in in this and i mm -hmm. think she was very clear on erasing i guess his past and becoming a, a new person well, because of his of this traumatic event yeah. that led to his amnesia right so while he's in this fugue state when he's trying to re yeah. find out remembering who he was her presence is actually to me it's helping to create a better person than what he was if, if you catch my drift yeah uh -huh. Uh -huh. yeah yeah you see, guys, in terms of the production of this film, do you know much about the 9-11 reshoots? Can can you speak much to that? Because there were endings, there, there was an ending conceived, and then there were reshoots that Universal didn't want to give yeah. until the test screenings were over. But then they decided, yeah, we've got to go back and do this again because people really like it. So let's give Lyman a chance to finish it. Can you speak to that as the well? The only thing I read about the 9-11 reshoots was Universal was very worried about it because of the foreign policy aspects. But they they never were done. Uh, they like Lehman fought tooth and nail to to they, keep the suits yeah. off the set, and he managed to do it. And Damon and Gilroy were all involved with that. Like they wanted to make sure that they would preserve the script that both um, uh, Gilroy, uh, Lehman, and I guess the polishing that uh, William Heron Blake did on the uh, on the uh -huh. screenplay. So that's what I know. I know okay. about that. I do know right. that okay. one sequence Universal wanted out of the film was the farmhouse sequence, and I, and when yeah, I read that, I was it, like, "Are you that's serious?" Right, that's right, yeah. And, I know uh, it, it's so important. Yeah, like it's a it's a it's a great set piece. Beyond that, it's like also very crucial, I think, to the story development too. Apparently, Matt Damon and uh, it was Gilmore or was it Lyman that were really fighting to keep it in. Yeah, they were absolutely because they're like this is very important because otherwise it it's hard to keep that sort of um, that, the, the, the personal part just so he doesn't look like a, like a, uh, I don't want to say a robot, but it, it's, it, they thought like, well, we don't need this in there, but I'm like, yeah, you do need that in there because when you see those scenes, it's like him, he's trying to save them. He's, he's got, he's embarrassed to say like this family uh -huh. I've never met. We just broke into your house and you know, uh -huh. I almost, I'm almost going to get you all killed. Yeah. So it shows, mm -hmm. it shows him being like, no, I have to do this. This is this is on me, and I'm gonna fix this. So it shows how he's trying to gather up the pieces. I don't know. It's it's such an important part of the film that the fact that they wanted to cut it out. I'm really glad they didn't. Basically, I thought it was important because if he doesn't get rid of Marie, then the ending it's like an air out the balloon situation. He needs to go up against yeah. Conklin himself, and if he doesn't, then it's yeah. weird. You know, like, and I think getting her out shows obviously his moral compass, but it also demonstrates the fact that this is, uh, this is the 
revenge part of yes. the story if we're if we're going to go there or it's and maybe revenge isn't the right word but it's the clearing of the yeah, air it's clearing you know, of the that air. he yeah. needs to have on his own it's the, it's the on end. his own but i heard that universal wanted that to be the end of the film and it wasn't until they did the okay. reshoots that those others so i think we've all heard kind of different yeah. stories here but yeah i'm not quite 100% sure on this maybe our our, our our listeners will correct us on this but i know they wanted universal wanted to change like the ending of it uh, or in the farmhouse scene they wanted out but i could be completely wrong but I, I don't know. Um, with that scene, and when they were, say, you know, there was another scene when he finally spoke to them, like through the the professor's cell, to get a hold of them. And they asked, like, "What about Marie?" And then he let the he led them to believe that he killed her, which then made them be like, "Oh shit!" Like, you know, if he goes after the one person that, like, he only the only person he actually knew, that made them scared because then they can lead him. They, they can, he can leave the CIA back and be like, look, look how bad I am. I killed the one, like this person. So then that made them scared. So anyways, I just thought, and, and just showing how mm. the whole point of that, the, the farmhouse scene is that he did, obviously he did care and he got her out of there and he's like, I got to finish this. And he saved her. So it just shows, I thought that was a very, very important, especially how then showing how important it was and how uh, he was taking this upon himself, almost like redemption and revenge but also then showing how when he gets a hold of his former handlers who he's still trying to figure out all the you know the working pieces but he knows that if he tells them <clears throat> that he killed her and they're just like oh my god like he's totally like off, off the, the rails. one person yeah. He, yeah he's off the rails and that's like the look on conklin chris cooper's face was priceless yeah. and like oh man they don't like mm. anyways that that just shows why that scene, those the farmhouse scene was so important. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> well, this really goes to show that Lehman is a hands-on director. This is his indie background, obviously, yes. like in control here, and he kept the suits at bay for the majority of the movie. Mm-hmm. And he had Damon, and he had Gilroy as powerful forces backing him up. So he was able to to uh, to do that. We do know that despite him fighting for the novel, he did away with much of the content, as you were talking about, Scott. Yes. Uh, he yeah. definitely fixed mm-hmm. he, he fixed mm-hmm. Marie up for sure. Um, also, she went from French Canadian yeah, to yeah. being a, a German a yeah. German citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's because yeah, you had Franca sure. Patenta, uh, who also Lehman obviously cast her because he's an indie guy, and of course, Run Lola Run. That was one of the first films I watched in <laughs> film mm-hmm. studies was was Run Lola Run. Yeah. yeah. So when I watched the Born Identity, I'm like, oh my god, that's Lola. So it was like cool. <laughs> and I made a joke the other day with Josh. I'm like, because she kind of had red in her hair still, like red, yeah. like. They filmed this right after the film because she still hasn't washed it all out yet. But I was, it was- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, he did away with m- much of the content of the novel, and while keeping the main premise of the amnesiac spy and y- some of its characters, he did use the film to offer his own perspective on U.S. foreign policy. And you can definitely see this with the whole Wambozi plot, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. yeah. In terms oh, yeah. of the production, Brad Pitt was offered the lead, but he turned yeah. it down. Universal also reached out to Schwarzenegger. Can you imagine how that would have went? I mean, I love Arnie, oh. but this was not the movie for Arnie at all. <laughs> no, you know, or even no. Stallone. And I think there was you, someone. You, yeah, that's a, yeah. No. Russell Crowe, maybe. I don't think. I just don't They're think Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. can do kind of naive and upset. I don't <laughs> think he can do that. I think he can only look <laughs> mad or. <laughs> well, no, I don't know about that. But yeah, to the I, think that, I just don't see him as like a guy. <laughs> 
Get to the farmhouse. Okay. okay. I can tell you, I can run. I can know that if I run for, or what is it, like 40, 50 meters yeah. or 100 meters. I can run for 30 minutes yeah. flat out without my, my hands going to shake. Her to shake. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't yeah, do the yeah, Schwarzenegger yeah. accent. Sorry, guys. I, I just couldn't do it. Uh, Russell Crowe was yeah. also considered. Oh, yeah, Russell Crowe. He would have been maybe a little too old and maybe a little. I think they would have lost kind of the boyish naivety because Russell Crowe would have just been all out, kind of like brutish, in my opinion, in that role. Uh, Tom Cruise was also a consideration, yes. but uh, he was yeah. busy doing other stuff. Um, nah. Lehman went with Damon because Damon was keen on making the story about character and plot, not just about the action. Uh, Damon, he went all in. It was the first role he played in which he physically performed in a role. Like, yeah. So he did his own stunt work. Uh, he worked with stuntman Nick Powell. I don't know if he's related to composer John Powell. but uh, Is she related to you, Scott? Hmm. Yeah. No, no <laughs> yeah, he trained... No. Oh, 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 wait, wait. Can we do that sure. again? Can we <laughs> yes. do that again? I taught him everything I know. <laughs> Sorry. That's shit. I'll be hotter on the spot. Yeah, I missed that. Sorry, guys. Uh, he trained extensively in boxing, uh, use of weapons, and escrima, which is a Filipino martial art. And because you were thinking, Jeff, it was Krav Maga mm, that he was doing? Interesting. Or? I thought it was, but it, they, they said there was elements. They, they, they had, it was like a fruitcake of martial arts but they said the majority of the martial arts uh-huh. that were used in this was the escrima okay okay uh and of course Ooh. that's him Ooh. that you see in the majority of the fight scenes and he did climb the wall of the safe house in the climax now the filming started shooting on october 31st 2000 the studio as we know we they try to intervene and that's because there were so many delays because of this that it wasn't released until 2002 there was constant rewrites too right like faxing like constantly almost right yeah. to the end of the shoot right so they're just going back and forth yeah we know so I, that's interesting it is yeah we know that tony gilroy like besides lehman i, I think i think tony gilroy really took on the series as a whole because lehman only sat on as executive producer for the following films but tony gilroy i think he wrote at least i know that he wrote uh supremacy and ultimatum as well and uh he to me has been like the guiding force of the series overall with doug lehman kind of being the guy who started it but tony gilroy and then team with Paul Greengrass after afterwards, like that definitely created a, a very cool dynamic. And Gilroy, Gilroy yeah. is great. Uh, he's still working in, in, in the industry. We know now that like he is the executive producer and showrunner of Star Wars Andor. Uh, he, he basically, oh, yeah? yeah, he basically cleaned up Rogue One. The screenplay that oh, they wow. had, the original cre- screenplay of oh, Rogue One was oh. not great. And he was the one that made it like and he he did a whole rewrite of the entire thing and and that's Gilroy's work and that's why that's why uh, Lucasfilm gave him uh, the showrunner for Andor because you know and he also got a whole bunch of actor uh, writers for that series too like in the community he got one from the Americans and one from the um, House of Cards actually the writer creator of the American House of Cards so. That has the potential of being a good show under Gilroy's supervision. So Gilroy is definitely a force. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, he did a really good one-off movie. Uh, it's called Michael Clayton with George Clooney and uh, Tom Wilkinson. Oh, yeah. I still haven't seen that. Before, yeah. But I know, yeah. I know I it's that. good. I, I should, it's one that I, I, I should yeah. have watched and I still want to watch. Yeah, he's really... He, wasn't he nominated? I think he, he got a nomination for that. I believe, yeah, absolutely. Um. So, so Lyman fought to keep on location shooting. Uh, the Universal wanted to shoot it in Prague and Montreal because it was cheaper, but he wanted to That's, he wanted yeah. the authentication of Paris, and I'm glad that he did that. Um, oh, some yeah. of the Zurich sequences yeah. were shot in Prague, but they also shot on location yeah. in Rome and Machinus. 
Now, Makinas, I understand for the ending, obviously, because that's where they end up at the end of the movie. But Rome, you only see Castell on his Vespa driving by with his frosted tips, right? Just briefly in that in that in that in that montage sequence. You're right. Yeah, I like the montage. Sequence, yeah, it was good, but that it it is a bit of a stretch to say seven films. Yeah, movies. and you got to love the the, yeah. the synth yeah. the synth vibe that John Powell gives to that too, right? Like, yeah. it's like I almost felt like Chris Cooper was almost like a like a football coach going line them up, get them started, to get all the agents all activated, right? Like there was a cool kind uh, of like to be honest, like, anyone those big yeah, anyone those I big headsets and with like the big uh you know the big like Monday Night Football headsets and <laughs> I thought that, well, that I thought that would be yeah, that would have been perfect. Yeah. Frank Gifford, Frank Gifford. Ex- yeah, Frank, Frank Gifford exactly. for the win. Exactly. <laughs> He's holding his clipboard and he puts his mic closer to yeah. his mouth. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I, I I really enjoyed that scene though when he's like, "Get him up, get him up!" Like all of them, all, all of, of them. them. That I that yeah, that was I thought that was good. And then you and then it goes to showing the you know the 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 high tech like calling them all, getting them activated. That I thought yeah. that was a nice little montage. That was good. Yeah. So, Josh, just before you move away from the, the, the contents, can I ask you a question about um, William Blake Heron? Because he certainly appears, from what I've read, he appears to be a lesser uh, screenwriting yeah, commodity. Yeah, absolutely. But, he seems like a guy, um, Universal. Like what, what I don't really you know tell me about, about him. him. I just know Universal hired him because they needed someone to polish his script because they obviously didn't like the initial treatment okay. that Lehman and Gilroy th- provided maybe because from coming from an indie coming from an indie oh, so he yeah okay. maybe coming from an indie background they were i think they were probably worried yeah <laughs> they, they, they they i maybe <laughs> like coming from an indie background and despite you know some of the clout that lehman had presenting it to universal universal felt they cool. wanted someone in-house yeah. to kind of that was their way of subtly getting control of the movie i i, I suppose yeah okay but silly, uh, not silly. It's strange though because Universal, I would have thought, might have gone to a steadier hand than him because yeah. he doesn't have a lot of credits. Yeah. The credits he has or, are interesting, exactly. to say the least. Yeah, <laughs> and I know Gilroy at the time. Even I know his best work, as you said, was kind of yeah. yet to come. But he he had a steadier foundation beneath him with like Extreme Measures and, and Armageddon and Proof of Life and all Her, that. Oh, so I forgot with, Armageddon. With yeah. Cl- Oh, I definitely forgot Armageddon, but that was on purpose. Uh, <laughs> that was by choice. Yeah, <laughs> you're not going to miss a thing. By the way, you're not going to miss a thing. Ah, yeah, Michael Bay. Explosion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what that is? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> good Aerosmith song. Uh, I, I guess, Earth. but uh, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, if you never no, no it's it's not seventies no. Aerosmith. Just I'm no. joking. I'm joking. Let's move on. Yeah. No. <laughs> Um, let's go. Yeah. So just, just moving for, forward, uh, regarding, so we talked about Lehman being a hands-on director. Now, Alexander Witt was the second unit director who masterminded the Paris car chase, not, Re- not no, Remy Julien. Sorry, yeah. folks. It wasn't Remy Julien. I was actually really <laughs> curious because I wanted to check at the end of the movie if it was Remy Julien who did it, but it wasn't. Listen, you, you guys, I, I got to interrupt you there. If you look really, really carefully and it happens. It happens when the the mini goes up on the sidewalk. Yeah. Okay, you oh, remember that part? Oh my right? god! They, 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 he does this kid turn up on the sidewalk. Roger Moore is driving a half Renault. He's there for just a split second. He's just just a split second. You can see it. It's in. It's, it's there. It. I'm telling you. I'm sure that's I what. I swear, what the guy that? I'm sure that's at one point. I think there's someone that like jumps onto a hood of a car. I swear it was the guy, the French guy, and he has another glass. It's the same glass of wine. <laughs> The same glass of wine. Of wine. Yeah. 
That poor bastard. <laughs> one thing that one little. Oh my car! Yeah, one thing I I heard now I don't uh, about the car chase is that they were done in different spots. So anyone who actually is a, a native of Paris would be like, "This car chase makes no fucking sense." Pardon my yeah, French. Editing, you, yeah, editing. Yeah, that's right. So like it doesn't. It's like it's like if you were in Toronto or Ottawa, where like the car chase starts in Canada and somehow like when he turns left, he's like in I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sault Ste. Yeah. Marie. Yeah, like, what? Like, that doesn't even what? <laughs> or like he ends up like in in, uh, in Gatineau. Like, like he turns. He, he's at the Boston Pizza <laughs> in the centrum, and then he turns right, and all of a sudden he's at like at Pig Al's. Yeah. And like the strip club. Yeah, that's <laughs> very that's, that's very specific uh, location yeah. there. But speaking yeah. of Paris, yeah, though, I know, I know. But the car chase looked good. It just you know, yeah. if we're going, well, there, by, you got to think yeah. in terms of geographically yeah, inaccurate. If you're aware of the geography, then yeah, you will know that you'll pick that up for that's sure. Tough. But at the same time, like if you are. when you're editing it and filming good. stuff like that, and you got to think and of editing, logistics yeah. of cutting of sure. cutting off traffic and being able to film on certain well, roads yeah. and stuff like that, like you got to go with what you got, right? So I mean, there's nothing you can. And do we about know it. from describing totally. and going through production notes of, of various, uh, even other non bonds. Like I think we had spoken similarly about Ronin and and other yeah. uh, Bond films with filming in similar locations. It, it's a bitch, like especially you when you have to do those kind of closed closed off uh, chases in Rome or, or, or Paris. It's just, it's a huge undertaking yeah, and is. very costly. So mm. yeah, it makes sense. It is. And uh, Lehman was actually like, even though Alexander Witt directed it and that whole sequence, uh, Lehman was there and he was actually with the Steadicam in the car and filmed the car interior scenes with Damon and Patent. The embassy scene was oh. actually shot in the, uh, in 2001 and the soldiers you see in the film, the ones that oh, come yeah. in, they're actually yeah. uh, U.S. Marines. So, yeah. Hmm. They actually cool. use yeah. real Marines. And that's basically yeah. what I could get, I could, I could glean about the production mm-hmm. of the film. Uh, that's what I was able to put together. Great. Yeah. Well, Thank you. I mean, audiences liked it. It made it a did. lot of money. Yeah. And we had a $60 million budget. And it yeah. made $214 million in the box office. So that's, that's, that's pretty right. darn good. Well, they were worried because it was $8 million over budget, but... I think they were okay with it after, and right, you know, when yeah, I afterwards it, they were okay with. It. And Lehman kind of went from being kind of like a indie director to being a box, a big, a big name director because of this. Like so, yeah. Born Identity. Uh, he followed that with uh, he he only continued on the Born series as an executive producer. Gilroy and Greengrass kind of took over after that. Um, he did Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I wasn't a huge fan of that one in particular. Um, yeah, it's fluffy fun, yeah. but it's just you know, it's like whatever. And then you have Jumper, which was uh, this is when Hayden Christensen oh, yeah. was still a, a big name, and he directed uh, that science fiction movie, yeah. uh, Fair Game, which was actually a very good film about Valerie Plame from 2010. He he directed that. If you're familiar with Valerie Plame, she was that CIA agent who gave up a source or something like that. No, she was a journalist who would g- give up a source or something in the CIA. I had a Kate Beckinsale, I, I think it was really good. Uh, then, of course, uh, one of my favorite like sci-fi movies the past couple of years. Uh, he directed Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise, the uh, Groundhog Day meets Alien Invasion movie with uh, Emily Blunt, uh-huh. and he also That's worked good. with Cruise again with American Made, and he directed a not so great sci-fi film recently oh, yeah, called great. Chaos Walking with Tom Holland and uh, Daisy Ridley, um, mm. which was very much delayed because mm. of COVID, and so it had a lot of production problems. He produced all five Bourne films, uh, but only directed the first, as we know. He got into TV direct, uh, producing as well. Mo- uh, the OC was one of the ones that he produced. Uh, he did a series called Heist that never really 
got anywhere. And then, of course, there was Covert Affairs. <laughs> that was a popular spy series. And, of course, it's considered a pretty popular show these days. I don't know if it's finished yet. I think it's still going. Uh, Suits, he, pre- he produced that as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, that's that's basically uh, Lehman. Uh, we talked about, you know, the Cess of the Born trilogy going forward, how it definitely led Bond to go back to the basics. I think, like, that was a big thing. Uh, Casino Royale, where you can, can see some of the Born influences in, for sure. And particularly in Quantum of Solace, you can see some of the Paul, Greenga- Paul Greengrass Born influences in terms of the cinematography and whatnot. I just, I just think, and the editing. But I just think Greengrass did it a lot better than Mark Forster did. In Quantum of Solace, Sorry. I'm referring to. Yeah. Well, what, what's interesting here, and, and uh, what I like is that it's clear that I mean, obviously, it, it's uh, people can like this film or not. It's a free world, mm-hmm. uh, depending. Uh, and uh, but it, I think what it, what this sh- kind of shows you to an extent is that on a personal level, Lyman, it, it's one of those things where he just always liked this book. Uh, and and you can see that even though it's not necessarily the type of film he normally did, and that's why there was probably some hesitation with the people who were like, eh, okay, you want to do this, but we don't see a lot of uh, sort of uh, of your of your in your if we, if we look at your portfolio or your resume here, we don't see a lot of things that would make us think you could do this properly. And I think what, what it's cool is that because he was passionate about the book, is that he really did do a good job and made it um, uh, contemporary. Yes, which I think is another thing that I I noticed that yeah, yeah that he 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 no upgraded because the well, that's that's exactly is that when the book came out in 1980. I mean, 1980, you know, it's 42 years ago, and 1980 is still very much Cold War, and there isn't much of a Cold War going on in 2001. I mean, obviously, there's still that stuff still going on, but to make it relevant and to make it, you know, that you have to do some things with that, and I think they did a good job. And like you were saying, is they were worried about the whole nine 11 thing, especially because it's very fresh. I mean, they were filming when it was going on and when it was released, you know, they had just put boots in Afghanistan and then it's just, Mm -hmm. it's a very fluid situation all over the world and all that fear. And they did a good job of just sort of making it like current, but not touching on anything, not even referencing anything to do with, uh, you know, the recent terror attacks at that time and the war on terror and I think that's probably why people were so impressed with it. I think, yeah. if I'm going by that way, with mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you're on the right track. You're, you're, that's my that's my hot how take. it's enjoyed. That's my yeah. hot take. Mm. Well, guys, why don't we uh, use that then as an opportunity? Production notes done. Introduction notes done. Let's let's move on over to our rankings. Sure. We're going to talk story. We're going to talk acting. Yeah. We're going to talk atmosphere. Our money penage. And uh, yeah, so here we yeah. go. Or would these let's be our, this. Uh, our Nikki get... notes? Hmm. Will we say that? <laughs> Nikki, you can call them Nikki notes <laughs> if you want to. Uh-huh. You know what? It would be the best. It would be the best. Uh, the, in fact, I'm not so sure that Julia Stiles, uh... for what she did in this movie, I'm not sure she deserves it. But at the same time, maybe she really does deserve something because it didn't give her anything to do in this movie. So let's go. Nikki yeah. notes. Here we in go. defense of Nikki, she does appear. They kind of flesh her out a little bit in the next film. But yeah, yeah. they do. But they yeah, sure, sure did it in this but, film. Uh, no. 
WTF who cast Julia Stiles in this role? <laughs> like, was Doug Lehman a fan of 10 Things I Hate About You? Is that, well, is that what I, is that? That's what, what I was going to say. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, are they trying to get a younger audience? Oh, I mean, I guess. I mean, you get a, a, a Matt Damon, Damon and Julia they- Stiles. But it's like Julie Stiles, really? Like, I mean, whatever. I mean, she was okay. Like, you can find anyone to do that role. In, in a sense, like, I mean, I they, they obviously flushed her out with the other films. Yeah. And she is important because, and especially that type of role now, is so huge. And you get big-name people to do those, like, you know, it's like the Overwatch or the, you know, the, the everyone has, like, an IT person. It's like Chloe it's like, from, yeah. uh, from well, CSU. It's, it's like, C- you know, CTU. Well, yeah, exactly. She's like the Chloe. It's like if you look at, um, uh, uh, but every show now that has any kind of you know a group like a, they always have the IT person of the Eye in the Sky or the Overwatch. Felicity and, Smoke. Uh, you know, uh, exactly. Arrow, That's what example. I was going to say. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so Julie, it was just an odd. It was an odd casting, but but if you look at the at the year so it would have been like 2000 she was definitely on the radar for different things it's an odd role i mean you know it's small role but she did it well and they they kept her in mm-hmm. I, I guess and she they fleshed out a character yeah. but uh you could have had anyone in that role in my opinion well matt damon was an odd yeah, one yeah, too. Absolutely. yeah he was he was a different cast for sure who would exactly. expect that one now, uh, mm. Styles, uh, they do explain in the second film that Nikki's Nikki was undercover as an American student in Paris, and that's how she was able right. to maintain her, yeah, her, I guess her cover, at, like as a, to to be a handler for the Treadstone agents, right? So they do explain that mm-hmm. in there, and she has mm-hmm. like training with like psychological profiling and and stuff like that. But of course, that wasn't in the film, obviously, in the Born Identity and MS Paint and MS Paint. She was doing, you know, with the the wanted poster there. They, they, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, that's the right. frame job. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, literally <laughs> the frame really job. Windows ninety five, baby. I did kind of enjoy yeah. the dynamic though, like mm-hmm. when Conklin arrived at the uh, oh yeah at the safe house. I kind of like the yeah. dynamic. Like Conklin is like, is this girl working for us? Like what the heck? Yeah. And even when he says, yeah. the, there's like, where's your like field kind of, box? There's like a contempt there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Who are we hiring for this? <laughs> he really shits on her when he's like. Even she could do this, and then she's standing there like, yeah. uh, "I'm I, still here." I and my Damon's like, "You're sake. a." You can see the look <laughs> in his face where he's like, "You're kind of a dick." And then, like, even even like, and yeah. at one point where he was like, "Well, she's you know a bad guy," but then he's looking at her like, "Are you going to do anything?" He's like, "No, she's not going to do anything." She's like, "She's almost just kind of like a, a bystander." He's like, "I know you're doing your job," so he's like, I, "I don't even think of you as a threat." Basically, that's what I felt. Well, let's you know? leave. Yeah, <laughs> right. let's leave Nikki in the background, though, and we'll get to yeah, her in some, yeah, yeah, in some other capacity. Even though we really, really kind yeah, of, of already touched on her, uh, let's just go right into our ratings. You know, our, our money pennies. Here. Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, I can go for story first if you like. Sure. Yeah. Go. Okay. So let's talk about um, the the pacing, because um, story is going to be talking about. We're not just talking about like the overall plot. We're also talking about the writing as well. Um, the pacing. I found it, despite a palpable momentum that's kind of derived from the mystery of who Jason Bourne is, the movie does tend to slow down uh, for some of the detective scenes and also for those relationship moments, especially after they get to Paris. Uh, The car chase and the suspense of of solving the mystery, it pushes the story along. And it only picks up after they leave Paris to me when they uh, when when they go to this farmhouse and then when they go into the into the climax. Not to say that I'm still I'm I'm poo pooing like the middle sequence in Paris, like the investigative stuff. I'm not, but there is sort of a slight pacing. Uh, it's not a sluggishness per se, 
but it's kind of like a meandering that occurs. And I do like that, but I do think as an action film, it sort of slows it down a little bit, but it's not detrimental is what I'm trying to say. Um, mm -hmm. The action set pieces are placed strategically throughout the film. You know, yeah. the majority of them are organic. Uh, they're suddenly subtly blend into the story. You get like the embassy escape, Bourne's apartment fight, the farmhouse and the climax. Uh, the car chase feels very much like a set piece. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, wow. you know, this is when our minds kind of a switch goes on and tells us now is time for the requisite car chase. And as good as it was, say for some flaws in the editing, like we talked about regarding the geography of Paris, it does feel like an inserted borderline kind of frivolous moment the movie didn't really need, but it was still fun to watch as an entertainment. Um Thematically, I found the story very resonant. The quest for identity and not liking the results, that was very poignant. Despite the spy movie plot, it almost has like a noir feel. By that, I mean that because it's very character driven. The characters have goals and that drives the story. This choice makes the film stand out from other spy movies. There's a slight doubt that not everyone is entirely good or bad. And there's a humanizing factor that inevitably, that inevitably takes over the proceedings, uh, which, which I really liked. Mm. Um, now, the ending. I don't think it's 100% earned in the way that it's presented, you may you may disagree with this. I feel that it's too tacked on. It's something that a studio panel would suggest to me. Part of me feels a more ambiguous ending, such as Born on the Bridge after the climax, would have served better. Uh, the film has shown us the toll, both psychologically and physiologically, that the life has on its operatives. I mean, look at Clive Owen's final words, right? The professor's final words. Look at what they make you give, right? Yeah. So, right. yeah. And... Maybe it's a cynic in me, but we saw a gritty world of espionage here. And, and even, you know, you know, with, with like the Clive Owen death speech, you know, it, it compels Bourne to not give, so to speak. So, you know, so he wants to start a clean slate with and a new life with Marie. Deep down, though, it seems like he knows that he may still be pursued and he could be endangering Marie by staying with her. And of course, <clears throat> the Bourne supremacy. Uh, it feels very naive of him in a way to me, but it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, like, you know, this was a grave mistake. But I feel that, like, I don't know, like, I think they could have been more ambiguous with the ending. But I understand the direction that they went, especially if they did continue to make a series. Like, I don't know if, like, this was going to be a one-off film and they were going to do other books afterwards. Well, like, yeah. I want to learn about the production of Supremacy. Was it Greenlight because of the success of the Born Identity and they wanted to do more of them and they knew they had more of Ludlum's books to pull from? Or was it this was supposed to be a one-and-done movie and then that was it? I think as a one and done movie, the ending does kind of work, but I feel like yeah, even sure. like a, for an indie sure. director like Lehman, I think he could have had a more ambiguous ending. Not that I don't like the yeah. ending, and man, I love Moby. That song, Extreme Ways, is, oh, yeah. is my exercise, is on my exercise mix. Like whenever I get pumped up, whenever I go <laughs> for a run or a walk, I put Extreme Ways on all the time. So <laughs> I don't mind the it's ending. Like, you just yeah. hear that you hear that opening note, and you most people. I mean, if people hadn't heard that song before the Born Identity, yeah, it's like synonymous now. Like mm -hmm. it, you just put that in a, in a TV show or a movie, and it'll like you'll know it's it is what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Moby's James Bond theme from Tomorrow Never Dies didn't do yeah. quite so well. <laughs> no, it definitely did not. No, it definitely did not. Um, <laughs> no, that, that's the one. That, that's the one. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, one thing I do like... Uh, <laughs> It's a bit better, a bit yeah. better than movies. And of course, there's great example. I do feel like, yeah, so as a script, uh, Born Identity is very strong in terms of character and 
and story. And it doesn't have like a MacGuffin really that drives it. I guess you could say the amnesia thing is kind of a MacGuffin, but not really. I feel yeah. like everyone is from the, like born is found and floating in the water. There's a, we learn the reason eventually why he was yeah. there. Conklin has motivations. Ward Abbott by, by Brian Cox. He has motivations. Yeah. Um, yep. Marie has her own motivations. I find all the characters are trying to get to a certain place in this story. And that's how I feel about, you know, how the story was constructed in that way. So it's very strong in terms of character. I do like the bits of the writing that are very subtle. Like, for example, when Bourne uh, recruits Marie outside of the outside of the embassy in Europe, like on one of the side streets yeah. nearby, like he doesn't really luck out in getting her to do it because he recognizes her. Because when she's in the embassy arguing to... Actually, the actor who played Cicero on Rome, for those who noticed, um, David Bamber, <laughs> uh, which is arguing, Bourne is in the background clearly seen. And so he's overhearing everything. And this goes forward to like the sequence in the diner where he's telling her about all of his keen observation yeah, skills. Exactly. And that to me is good writing because. Yes, it is. And him running into Marie is not a coincidence anymore. He recognized her and knew that she was a possible asset that he could use. You know, I mean, so even those inborn, pun intended, yeah. um, uh -huh. espionage skills were already working for like the amnesiac, right? So I really like that. I, I must say, though, I must say, I do wonder if that meeting with Marie was stretched out a bit more. I see what you're saying. Cinematically yeah. with the story, the serendipity is somewhat diluted because of his observational yeah. skills and all of that. But I do wonder if the book, if if there was maybe a better or better, a longer a more protracted meeting, you know, and kind of sign up for Marie, or if it was just like emergency, quick, go, boom, let's go. It might've been like that too, given how he wrote other parts of her character. Yeah. Know? I don't know, but it's not a major complaint either way. Uh, I just did think it was the serendipity still did come through a little bit, even though, yeah, later it was retconned or justified. Yeah, exactly. And, and serendipity does happen in real life. I mean, we can't deny it, right? Oh, yeah. It just, it just felt more. Well, of course it, it does. Yeah. Jeff. Yeah. No, no, I was going to say, it, like, it's one of those things where, like, he doesn't know who he is, but he knows he's got these skills, and he just, it's just those innate skills that he he just knows how to use. Like, he's, basically, it's like Batman waking up with no memory, but he's got the freaking tool belt, right? He's got, oh, I got the shark spray, yeah. I got my battering, right. I got, you know, yeah. my, I don't know. And so, <laughs> he basically is like, well, this girl's hard enough for cash. I remember you're listening to her. It's a sob story. I can work with that. And, and, and. And but at the same uh -huh. time, because he doesn't remember who he is and and all the backstory of why he's like this, but he's like, you know what? I have the money and I don't care. I just want to figure out who I am. I'll give her X amount of money, and I know that she'll probably take it. But it, there was nothing really nefarious. He just wants to get shit done. But he he knows like how to position money and people in these kinds of situations as potentially like he would do with an asset. And yeah. and I think that is good writing. And uh, anyways, I agree with Josh. I wanted to just sort of make, make that little note there. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like character and story is very important in, uh, in, to the success of this of this of, of you know of this screenplay to me and and how it worked on film. Um, I, I, I like how they were able to like present this story. It was very refreshing to see a spy movie presented as sort of a mystery because why yes. is Bourne floating in the water? What exactly. what is this side story about? You know about this African dictator. How does that connect to it? What is Ward Abbott's motivations? What is Bill Conklin's motivations? What exactly is going on here? What, like there's a moral ambig ambiguity all the way through, and you get sense of like right. are Conklin and Ward corrupt, 
or are they just, you know, there's a botched operation and they're trying to clean it up and, you know, they are who they are and they're trying to try, you know, and working in the government, you know, for like a clandestine part of it. So you kind of get, as you, the story builds as you go along, as you learn more, as soon as they get to the investigation thread, after they, after the initial fight and car chase in Paris, when the investigation into John Michael Caine and all that starts, starts to happen, right? Uh, then you sort of see like the mystery thread unraveling and then all the other storylines are connecting together with that moral ambiguity being created. But then you also have the the humanizing factor happening that these agents are victims themselves. And that, you know, like everything just seems to me, all the threads just tie together in the end and they just, it just works out so well in that fashion. So for that reason alone, and all all the things I've ever talked about, like I thought the story was really good. Um, I told you, I did mention at the beginning of my uh, synopsis of the uh, uh, story here that there are moments where the pacing is a little off for me. There's kind of some like slower moments that kind of lower the momentum, but I don't think, as I said, that's detrimental. And that's why I give it eight out of 10, like eight out of 10 money pennies for the story. Mm. Like I'm very happy with, with how it ended up. And, and yeah, yeah, that's what I have to say about, uh, about the story anyways. I don't know if you guys agreed with me on that, but uh, that's how I feel. Oh yeah. I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much on board for that. I gave it seven and a half, but I was on the fence between seven and a half, eight. Uh, again, the story um, is pretty straightforward, and again, it it's nothing. Yeah, like it, it's not super contrived or anything. It, but they do a good job of of putting little pieces here and there, so you can kind of we're all kind of figuring out who Born is together. It's all, and you can see all the wheels turn, and and what's what's interesting is that you're like, who is the bad guy here? Like, the, and and. What's interesting is I'm going to read some uh, some little excerpts of uh, of Ebert's review, which he had said like really there are no like there, there's really no heroes in this. Like even like the the hero is you can kind of see like well you know it, he doesn't have a memory, but he's not necessarily a good guy. He just he doesn't remember what he did. Right? But and so that's what's interesting. Yeah. But yeah. But it's funny. So you see all the guys in the CIA being like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, you're the one that came up with this plan. You did all this. You, you know, and they're like, how do you not remember this? Like, I, And they just cannot figure out. Like, it's such a lame excuse. Like, oh, I just don't remember. I have amnesia. <laughs> you're like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, that's the one thing that, they, that you can't. Like, I can kill you six ways through Friday with like a post-it note, you know, and a paperclip, uh, you know. But – if you forget, if you get amnesia, which can happen, very rare, you know what's going to happen here. It's like you're a Swiss Army knife and you don't know how to open. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, what do I do? Totally. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. So yeah. it's inter- It's just it is it's a what if. It's a it's a movie made on yeah, a what so if premise. This, again, so the story. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting off on it, but um, it's just interesting how like it is a fairly straightforward story, and I did enjoy it. And it's nice how they put these little pieces here and there, and you always sort of see uh, the hero starting to understand what's going on. Then he starts to see, I don't think I'm a good person, but he's clearly trying to start over. Mm -hmm. And when he sees Marie and he's like, I'm doing a good thing here. And then he gets really upset when he's like dragging her into the shit that he caused in the world that he has created. And he's seeing other people that he's trying to help. But even when he's trying to help them, He's dragging them closer and closer into potentially being collateral damage, which he's yeah, not like 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 Ian in his and, former and, life and, and his kids. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so he's like, "I got to finish this. I got to do this." Like that's why I really enjoyed 
what he was just like, what he realized, like, wait, what? How often does this happen with the dog going missing? Not often at all. Then he kind of clicks in. He's like, okay, you guys got to go. Is it what it means? Like, look, this is not her. This is me. And he was very, he's very clinical about it. Like, he's like, look, yeah, sorry, but he's like, he's not, he's not like doing this whole like, oh, what was me? Like, you know, uh, a blubbery monologue. Like, look, you know, blah, blah. he's like, look, this is what has to happen. You need to go to the basement. I'm going to fix this. I'm very sorry. I and you could see that he's honestly truthful about yeah. it and he's like but like we don't have time like i'll apologize to you later which is a lot easier than me standing over your grave and your two kids and your dead dog being like shit man That's right you know sorry <laughs> it's like what happened yeah, to exactly yeah. so it's yeah. like you gotta go and then he just takes upon himself like that's that was good. It, but, but again like the writing i thought was was quite strong i give it a, basically i give it a seven and a half it's it's pretty straightforward uh, but it's the little pieces that when he starts to remember and you see how it makes sense, well, what kind of operative was he? He's like, oh, he was a badass. Like he was like, you know, and then also just when he, he interrogates the other operatives where, you know, like uh, Clive Owens, like we always work alone. Like why are you asking me these stupid questions? And, and, yeah. and, and his, and, and his previous, uh, you know, subordinates are like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, how do you not know this? You know? And then they're just like, but then they, they answer them, but it's just, it's really interesting to see that dynamic with the story, how they write that in, in a plausible way, instead of it just being like, I don't remember. Like, you know, it's like Dallas, like it was all a dream. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Where these are tropes, but this trope was actually well done. Then I thought, you know, I I wonder if this has actually ever happened to an operative or, or someone in this kind of, you know, position like what happens? Like, what do you do? Like, well, yeah, it has because it was wasn't there that wasn't there a story like not too long ago of this Japanese um, officer who's like su- who's commanding officer or this Japanese soldier who's commanding officer needed to go to him like 20, 30 years after the war. This is mm-hmm. just a story I I read recently and tell him that oh. the war had ended because he didn't. He didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, I, I think he, there was still stationed on the from, Solomon Island. Oh, I, I was think. he one of the ones where he was just like literally living like in a bunker, like in one of the, like the bikini atolls yeah, or, something? or something? Yeah. And no one had seen him in 30 years, uh-huh. so he thought the war was still going on. This was like in the 70s or something. Okay, oh, maybe, I, yeah, maybe, maybe you have a different, that is, but so, I, yeah. that's, the, that's the story I can't think of. Um, anyways, I, again, I think the story is solid. Uh, I'm, I'm giving it a seven and a half. Um, because it's it's pretty straightforward, but they do a good job of what it is, make it contemporary, and the acting, like which I'll get to on its own, is strong, and that it helped it helped the story and uh, so how it was fleshed out. A question for you, though, so seven and a half, like yeah, that's I was wavering between seven and a half and eight to be honest, but I think I went I went over to eight just because I really liked how they presented the mystery and how they tied all the threads it. together. One thing one thing I really learned, you know, watching like old classics, like old movies, for example, like film noirs or even Hitchcock, is even a simplistic screenplay. If it's executed well and directed well, edited well, acted well, like even the most simple stories can be like fantastic movies. I mean, look at Casablanca. Casablanca yeah. is a yeah. simple story, but man, like it's yeah. one of the greatest screenplays ever written. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, uh, you know, there's no doubt about there's no doubt about that. Now, I'm not saying Born Denny is one of the greatest screenplays ever written. It does have its flaws. I definitely agree with you. I see there's more of an. I, I think what really the film gains from is more so of the characters uh the characters and 
working together with the story. I think those two things are important and and they depend upon the other to work well. I think like if there were some faucets of the film that were changed or altered to my satisfaction, I would probably end up giving it like maybe a nine or something like that. But I do have my issue with some of the pacing and with the um, the ending as well. And maybe we can all discuss yeah. the ending of the movie as well when Scott gives yeah. his take. So. Yeah, that's. I think that's probably a good idea. And I one thing I do like is that it wasn't overly – well, obviously it wasn't overly contrived as a story as a lot of like – sometimes um, espionage films, you know, this was very meat and potatoes. But it that's what it needed to be, I think, because of the amnesia aspect. Well, I think – I think you're making it both like uh, you're trying to make a grounded intelligent spy thriller, but you're also trying to make an entertaining box office movie to make money too. Right. So there's always uh, that, yeah, bal- that, that balance, that, mm-hmm. that <clears throat> type rope yeah. you have to yeah. walk. Right. So yes, that's my take anyway. Yep. So uh long, too long. Didn't read. Uh, I give it a seven and a half ish. All right. Right. Well guys, um, I'm going to ask you to go back to that time that, that food basics, first viewing and then being pulled Jeff in with Josh to watch it a second time, because I think what's happening here with you guys, with the story, and this is, this is not a criticism. This is an observation. I have not been, I have not been influenced by the further films. I have not ridden the born train. And so I don't look back on this as one of the action films that hadn't quite figured out its pacing. I'm looking at this as a first guy because it's the only one I've seen. It's the one I watched again, first time in 20 years. And for me personally, um, I don't see this as an action film that's, that, that kind of lags a little bit in Paris. I see this as a drama film with action pieces. Mm. And for that reason, this might surprise you. I went for a nine with the story. Wow. I went wow. for a nine because wow. the story does not, it, I'm telling you, man, it, this story to me is pretty solid. Like, I really like the intrigue. I like the fact that we're led to sympathize so quickly with this character. Like, we've seen enough, even by the time he turns around and he's angry in Giancarlo's yeah, fishing yeah. vessel, like he because yeah. he doesn't understand the maps. We have seen enough of Abbott and we have seen enough of Conklin in those two scenes to be like, he's, he, he's going to be fucked over by these guys. Yeah. And... I, I have enough sympathy for for the way that uh, Matt Damon is acting that scene that I really like. I really like following him right from the start. Yeah. I found that was interesting. Now, I love the way Wambosi's oh, yeah. story was woven yeah. in as well, not just for the foreign mm-hmm. policy allegory, but the way it unlocks the principal part of Jason Bourne's search, I think is so very important. And, I'm sure that would have been one of the things when I first watched the film that I overcomplicated mm. for myself. I'm like, oh, like, what is this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I got to make sure I understand it all. <clears throat> if you just take it at face value and you understand that, you know, this was a dictator in exile that America wanted to wipe off the map so that he wouldn't look like a puppet government insert, you know, all that type of stuff. If you just take it at face value, it makes complete sense what's going on there with that. And I just thought that uh, every part of this story worked okay. very well, and it gave me it gave me as a remember I, I'm not looking back on this as the first one of the series. As, I'm looking at it as yeah. what it is. I see it as a film. I see it as a film that's a drama with really good action pieces in it, and so that's why Josh. I don't find Paris boring because I find it like Ronin. Yeah. I'm watching it like the drama in Ronin. Happening. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm not waiting for the action yeah. kicks and the martial arts. I'm waiting for 
is this man going to understand? Is he going to get clues here? I want to see the investigation. I want to watch the professor come in slowly and kind of look at the hotel as the police arrive. I want to watch those yeah. moments because it's the mystery of it, the drama of it that I'm kind of wrapped into. A car chase comes, awesome. yeah, love it. You know that the hand fight comes in, in his Paris apartment. The build up to it, the fight is so good. I, I equally, yes, it is. The build up to the fight is good, yeah, for sure, and and I I like that, but. I mean, I, I like that it's not dead yes, on action. Yes. Oh yeah, exactly. That's to me, to me, the pacing, to me, the pacing is good because the action when it arrives, I really like it. I'm not feeling like I'm I'm bombarded by too much of the same thing. Okay, you know what I mean. And so for me, I quite I quite like that. I don't think I don't think any particular sequence is incredible, but as a whole, I think the balance is really good. It's entertaining to watch. Right. It's consistent in its quality. Like- it is. It's consistent in its quality. And uh, I appreciate that I'm not like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy asked to carry oh, multiple mm. fragments of a plot in my mind at the same time. And I need a notebook. This is supposed to oh, be yeah. entertainment in the cinema, not just like that, grandiose oh, acting and this huge narrative scope and perspective. Yeah, yeah of course. And I, I like what this is doing because it is an intelligent movie. The Treadstone stuff, the politicking, the American backroom conversations and these little these these shadowy groups. This is all very intelligent stuff, right? Yeah. Like and I love the fact that the film doesn't have it it just it doesn't have bad no. guys. Yeah. It doesn't. Everyone's Conklin great. and Abbott aren't bad guys. They're yeah. bureaucrats and soldiers who have been turned into, you know, secrecy keepers and double talkers. And but they're not necessarily bad. Their motives aren't bad. Any more than Bournes was when he signed up for this. Now, now you could look at it and say, "Yeah, Conklin's bad, and Abbott knows he's the only way he can cover up his shit is to get him out of there." Because you know what I mean? Like, I get it all, but the, what Josh said, right? The moral ambiguity, the shadowiness of it all—it's—it makes it, yeah, it makes it very human. It makes it a very human type story, and I think that's—I think that's interesting. But you know. See, at the end, Josh, you mentioned the end of the film, how you felt it was kind of studio pat. I can totally see that. I totally can. But I'm also I'm also a, a huge fan of this ending. One of the things I really love about the ending is how uh, it, it brings me back to what Bourne says to Marie in the car when, you know, she, she's saying, well, don't forget about me. And he's like, how could yeah. I? You're the only person yeah. I know. Now, obviously, that's funny, but it's also quite yeah. honest. Mm-hmm. And what I love about that, what I love about it is the rest of the film, the rest of the time that they're together. Yes, they sleep together, but the film and their relationship is not driven by sex. It's not driven by lust. And at the end of that film, if you watch it, um, that scene, I watched it a couple of times. Um, there's a sleight of hand with the camera work and him, right? Obviously, kind of boom, there he just kind of yeah. appears in the doorway. In the doorway, that. yeah. But when they when they embrace, there's no kissing. There's yeah. no there's no lust. It's a hug. Yeah. It's, it, and what, what I think Lyman's doing is he's building on this idea of them having an actual bond, an actual yeah. friendship. And I love that it didn't go down a romantic way at the end because that it, it just, to me, it, it gave the audience a, um, it gave the audience some credit too, for understanding that this isn't just, Oh, a movie couple, that this is a couple that's experienced something together. They were both sort of nomadic in different exactly. ways. Yeah. And there was a appreciation between them. Uh, and there was a kind of like, yeah, okay, maybe the, a mutual symbiosis or whatever, you know, there was, there was that thing going on between them, but it wasn't, 
just about sex. It wasn't about love. It wasn't about, oh, now the guy gets the girl, the girl gets the guy. It was about two people who had been through something coming together again. And they hug twice, right? They break off the first hug and they kind of look and smile at each other and then they embrace again and then the movie ends. And I like that because it suggests that wherever the, the partnership goes in the future, it's going to be strong. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be strong, at least as a, as a standalone film. Again, I'm not I'm not yeah. trying to <laughs> go into the series uh, or, or the you know the epoch of it all, yeah. but that's kind of how I I read it. And I was so pleased that it offered us a sophisticated and um, really quite mature ending. I thought, unlike say a and certain James Bond, you know, if you think about. <laughs> sucking diamonds out of each other's belly buttons or yeah, 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 or, yeah. <laughs> or basically or your your biggest rant lately was of course and a lot of people agree with you too is the whole thing about you know oh well i'm just not going to bother looking for a cure for my disease to get back on my family i'm just going to kill i'm just going to sacrifice myself yes <laughs> oh sorry yeah 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 i thought you were talking about circa 2002 oh yeah that, that, that's the diamonds you were yeah talking that's right <laughs> with jinx and yeah. bond yeah good god so to, to just, I just want to add to your point, Scott, is that, yes, I agree with mm-hmm. the, the ending is it, it's nice. Cause you know, they get together, but you're right. The, the, the fact that this relationship it's, it's quite refreshing is that, you know, you have like an espionage film and action movie, but the chemistry and the relationship between the two, you know, male and female protagonists is not like there is a, an intimate relationship, but it's not overly sexual. It's not, it's not, That's it's right. not yeah. shown that way. It's not like, you know, super steamy. It's, it's relatable. Uh, and also it, it's great. Cause it shows how the character of born just being like, you know, being born again <laughs> as an individual and being like, look, this is, it, it is true. And I do, I absolutely love that line when he's like, how could I forget about you? You're the only person I know, which means that he, he will absolutely do anything for this person without saying that because you know like i've got one person in my life at this point that i know who they are they seem to be a good person i will do and he's probably also kind of feels bad because he overheard her and he has the money and he was kind of paying her to help him but then he sees like she's a good person and i've kind of dragged her into this but i do care about her and i want i want i need to fix my shit and I want to make sure she's okay and that it will go from there. And so he, you know, he keeps up his promise. He does find her. And when they get together, it, it's, it's amicable and it's honest and mm-hmm. it's, it's quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it just, you know, and I, I, I totally agree with you on that. And even though it's like a nice, like, you know, they all get together. It's not a bond ending, is it? It's not a bond ending. It's not a bond. It's like, not. it just isn't. And, no- uh, and it's nice as a, as a ending and a, a, of a film, not necessarily like, yeah, hey, you know what? The protagonist, he's an action star, he's a spy, and he didn't die. So there might be a sequel. But if there's not, this is still a decent ending. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I I, I want to point I, out, I, I, too, I appreciate very anti Bond. I mean, you have like usually like women like in scantily clad outfits and stuff when you're trying to sell the sex yeah. part of it in Bond films. But I have to tell you, like, the scene of like when he's basically like washing the, di- uh, the dye out of her hair and stuff and washing her, oh, yeah. and then just how like they have like their first kiss and stuff like that. It's so sensual, yet at the same time, so classy how it was done. I, I guess I'm, try- yeah. I'm trying to say, like, yeah. you can feel the physical chemistry between the two actors happening there. Like, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they had something on behind the scenes or something. I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they're just great actors. <laughs> and, take. And, and, then, and that's it, right? But I don't know. Like, it was, like that scene is pretty Steamy hot. Take. I have to I have to say, like, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Mm. Just the whole thing of her trying to like, like yeah. she can tell that she can tell that he's reluctant and she's kind of like doing like the Eskimo nose thing and stuff like that. And then yeah. that kind of gets him. I think she appreciates that he's reluctant too. Yeah. But here's the thing on mm-hmm. the guy. Yeah. Can see that. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing on the writing of Marie is I, I really, I guess compare, I've never read the novel and you're saying Scott, that she was written quite differently in the novel. So I would say that like the agency they gave mm-hmm. her is really mm-hmm. good because she has the option of taking Bourne on and bringing him because she needs the money. And then because we know from like, remember the scene when, you know, when, um, Walton Goggins from the shield and other stuff. He was actually the operative in this, in the Langley who was doing the uh, profile on Marie, which Conklin immediately says like, I don't like her. Right. Mm-hmm. But you learn about this sort of, sort of, so to speak sob story about Marie's background. So, you know, that she's a gypsy. We get that information as, as viewers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're automatically thinking, is Marie just taking on to, is she tacking herself onto Jason Bourne now? Because that's take the money. Well, no, just, this is something for her mm-hmm. to latch onto. This is something for her to, oh, her, yeah. her to, mi- yeah. to migrate yeah. towards. Right. So is she in there for the thrill? Is she in there for, you know, just, just for a, another place to stay another place to be with? Like, you know, you can tell she goes through relationships because when she gets to yeah. uh, we we get to the farmhouse with Ian and his family uh, and and his kids. Uh, obviously, they had a relationship in the past. Ian has moved on and got married and had kids and mm-hmm. stuff, right? So, yeah. Like, or maybe mm-hmm. did did Ian He's have cool. an affair with Marie while he was still married, and and maybe that's why they're like. It's it's hard to say, but you can tell that there's ambiguity to her character. Yeah, it's hard to say. There's that moment though when she latches on to him yeah. and you feel the connection and when she starts working together, and then she's like, You can be a better person. You do have a choice, right? So by that point, her arc is complete. So again, the writing really isn't strong there too, because it develops her as a very she's not an action hero. She's not like she doesn't know like martial arts or anything like that. And even in the fight sequence, she kind of stays out of the way, right? But she's ride or die, no matter what, and mm-hmm. and that's that scene. And the, so the car chase does work thematically, in a sense. Take going back to what I was saying about being a set piece. It's like, are you are you ready? Are you coming? Yep. And then she puts well, the seatbelt on, and then you know that she's you know. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The best compliment I can give the story here, just to finish off my my mark here on it, and I did give it a nine. Remember, right. so I'm really high on this film now. I mean, this is the trouble with the scores, right? Because it doesn't mean that I like this movie more than I might like the Quiller Memorandum. It's just for story, for this particular Faucet, box, yeah. this particular organism, this this I thought is really strong. Now, the best compliment I can give it, guys, is that one of the expressions we use a lot on the show here when we're reviewing films, Bond films, and in, in this particular series of the three non-Bonds, we use that because plot, right? We <laughs> because, say, oh, why yeah, does yeah. something happen? Why is because that plot. because plot? I can't say that. I can't say that about much of this story. It all fits yeah. together. I'm believing in the little sideshow. I'm believing in Wambasi's moment in the morgue that connects everything. Yeah. Uh, like it's all been mapped out really, really well. And I know as Bourne is getting this information that we're going to have a confrontation with Conklin about Treadstone and all of that. But the, the, the mystery is how much is he actually yeah, going exactly. to find out? And that's something that is still yep. kind of left off the page of the script. And I like that. I like that because it opens up the world for, for subsequent yep. installments and also leaves me feeling like the phantom that's out there is very real. The treadstone organism, which can be, you know, uh, it's going to have different ramifications, man- different cultures, still different climates. Yep. That's very real. Yeah. Of course. Yes, yeah. It's still Mannheim. Exactly. I, 
I liked the story and I thought that it was, uh, yeah, I just thought it was top dollar. So I went All for right. a nine. I'm not going to explain where the extra mark came off. You know, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I would have liked to, I tell you though, here's one thing. Here's one thing I will say. I would have liked another 10 or 15 minutes overall spent in these locations because we'll, we'll maybe talk about it when we get to atmosphere. I really liked being not just on the main streets of these cities, which is where a lot of film lo- films will shoot. I also liked being in the back mm-hmm. alleys. I felt like Ronan maybe did a better job of keeping its story in a location. Yeah. I would maybe have Zurich, Zurich, particularly when <laughs> we talked about Rome, yeah. <laughs> it's just really a flyby, yeah. but I would like a few, a few more minutes of Zurich externals. Sure. Um, Maybe invest a bit more time in some of these, although the establishing shots are quite good. I don't know. I maybe just want a longer film. Maybe I was enjoying it more. <laughs> I would have liked another fifteen minutes because it's 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 runtime is what an hour fifty. Uh, like yeah, that. it's about. It's not really that long, no. is it? Yeah, it's about that. So, if I you bring me up to two hours solid, two hours sure. ten, I'd be happy sure. with that. So okay, cool. Anyway, very cool. Let's move on to acting. Yeah, yeah acting yeah. for sure. It's funny how, how how much I enjoy this film. Like it's one of my favorite action movies, pretty much ever. And it's funny if you go by how I, I, I drama I, movies. Sorry, I'm going to okay, disagree with okay, you. Okay, okay. <laughs> drama with okay. action set pieces. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I there totally agree with you, Scott. Uh, I totally agree with you. I'm well, kidding. I'm winding you guys up. Well, it's funny because if you go by my scores, you're gonna it's it's gonna be high, but like like mediocre high. But that it's just the way I've kind of. I'm one. I'm trying to not like fanboy the shit out of this. I know, and and two, and, and which is it's hard for Josh and I because we talk about this movie all the time, it just in passing. I'm trying so hard to find flaws. I'm trying so hard to find flaws. Yeah, like I think really, Scott, this is a nine out of ten yeah, in terms of story, but I'm trying so hard to find flaws. But that like it's, it's yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm. I'm I'm gonna have to agree with Josh on this. Hey, I'm just gonna enjoy being ahead of you. I'm yeah. just gonna enjoy being yeah. above you for a change. Yeah, you do that. You do that. Enjoy. This is killing me. No, no but, but I'm actually very yeah, happy like, about I'm, your nine out of ten. Actually, I'm I'm very happy because this is like one of yeah, my favorite we were because I was like, yeah. oh no, he's gonna he's gonna poop all over this because I know that you said you were like like lukewarm when you and you've only seen it like one or two times, which is which is once. fine. And I was like, okay, once. Okay, there you go. Uh, so I was really curious to see what you thought about a rewatch. So I, I'm very happy about that. Okay. Obviously performances and acting are a big part of presenting character in a movie. And of course we know that we have established that Bourne is very strong in terms of character as well as plot. So I think acting, you know, is something that I think would probably be, a have to be a high grading at, for this film to work in my opinion. So who wants to start off with the acting? Um, I'm gonna say I, I've changed it since we've been talking. But I'm gonna <laughs> okay. say eight and a half, eight and a half, nine. I mean, the thing is, is like the cast. It's it's so interesting because, and what made me change it now? I'm gonna say nine at this point. Is, is that the people they chose for these roles are quite mm-hmm. different than what you would normally have in almost every role. Chris Cooper, who was uh, you know in 2000, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, did so many different roles. He is, I love Chris Cooper. American beauty. Like, he's just done so many. Yeah. Well, Amer- uh, American beauty, uh, the Patriot he, adaptation, like just you ever, adaptation. Oh, Nick man. Yeah. yeah. That's that. like, I look, man, Susie Q. And he's like, you know, that li- one of my favorite lines is <laughs> fuck fit. Like I just, <laughs> man, yeah. like yeah. I, I love Chris <laughs> Cooper and yeah. pretty much everything he's ever done. Like I might not like the films, but I always like Chris Cooper. 
and I like him in this role. And this is probably one of the first roles I ever Muppets saw. Most Wanted. I actually, didn't see that. Or the Muppet, yeah. mo- but I, Muppets but, movie, uh, whatever uh, one that is. Yeah, uh, yeah. He plays the villain. Oh, there you go. Well, <laughs> he he's just villain. so good. And, he's good. And you know, he's almost and like a William Fichtner, really where like he he'll do bit parts and he'll just kick kick just kick the shit out of it. And this is a this is a really good role for him. Um, and he's believable. And uh, yeah, so the uh, I've, I've yeah, it's funny because I'm totally just. <laughs> going way more than what I was expecting for acting now that we're talking about it. But, but I think it, it's, it's all, it's, it's an honest uh, rating is that I would give a nine because if you look at, at the actors that are in this film, like they were good. Some of them were, uh, and, but they all became larger. Uh, like, you know, I want to say a list uh, after, after this or just around this time. Uh, and it, it's a, uh, it was a really good, uh, I'd say Damon. marriage of quality actors. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, Matt Damon. This is like between you know ninety eight and two thousand and three. Matt Damon, like he's just a home. Run. I mean, he's always a home run in my opinion. I, yeah, I, he's I, a home I, like, run. Yes, yeah, the guy is just he's he's fucking he's very good actor, this, man. Yeah, like on all fronts because he he can <laughs> write, and direct. He's funny. He's good. He can do anything. And more charming uh, than know, Ben. That's better, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, well, but uh, that's not, I mean, yeah, that that'll be a social media thing. But yeah, I, I agree. Anyway, so acting is very high, and again, with this film, it's it's a uh, it would I would say it would probably be pretty difficult, you know, to to try and portray that type of that role where like you have to be a, a you know a black a CIA you know black ops guy, but then you also uh, but then you're you know, you're, you're this character. You're like, I don't know who I am. It's like an etch sketch. Boom. You know, he shook it up. He fell in the water. He doesn't know who he is. So he's trying to put the pieces together. And you have this, you know, this young, handsome guy who doesn't know who the hell he is. But he's slowly understanding, like, I think I'm a weapon. What did I do? But I don't want to remember that. I want to be who I am. And I want to start over. Like, when he, uh-huh. it's like when he tells Conklin, like, I don't want to be this anymore. Like, and it's like don't force me to remember this. I'm sorry, but if if you do this, I'm bringing this war to your doorstep and I'll, I'll fuck you up. Pardon my French. And he's like, mm-hmm. and I can do it. But he's like, you can see how he doesn't want, he, he sees like, I might be able to start a new life. I, if I have to be whatever and go with Marie and, and start over or do whatever, I'll do it. Anyways, the I, I really felt like Matt Damon really like just, you could see that he really poured into this role and it was a different role for him. And he obviously with, with the production notes that him wanting to do a more physical role and, and really being invested in even some of the interviews just saying like, yeah, it was, they say it was difficult, but it's like any movies difficult, you know? And, uh, and so he was very passionate about this role. And so with David, he really hit it out of the park. Uh, Franca Patente is always good in her roles. I mean, I, I haven't seen a ton of films with her in it, but whenever I see her, she's, She's always good, and um, I mean, she usually plays uh, like um, uh, I, 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 I'm not going to say heroin, but like a uh, you know um, counterculture type, a counterculture type. But she's strong, and uh, and it's it usually it's a, a role that people can relate to, and I think this is a very good role for her, and and the, and especially kind of seeing how the character Marie uh, has. Uh, is different from the the role in the book from what I've 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 skimmed. Uh, she does a great job, and obviously you got Brian Cox is like you know, uh, you know the, Co- the CIA, Cox, is, uh, Cox is always good. 
He's always good, and and you know he yeah, he's, he's always plays those. Well, he doesn't always play those roles, but when he does, he's got like you know he plays, he plays the well, right? Mm-hmm. And he can do anything. Yeah. And so you know, and and even um, the smaller roles, like oh, I, again, Clive Owen, small role. I really wish I would have seen more of him in there, but I loved his like. And Josh and I, Josh quotes that freaking line all the time. Look what they make you give. He he's yeah. been quoting that for twenty years, and yeah. and why not? Because it's a great fucking line and that whole scene just that scene of just him dying and matt damon just saying like i kill did i just kill a co-worker and yeah and just it just <laughs> yeah, it's and, right. a brother and, and, no but and, and but a, a brother and then it's um it's just funny how clive Owen, like knows he's gonna die it's kind of i think he's almost like how does he not know what's going on like what the hell but he's like whatever i'm dying i'm just i'll just tell you like yeah i'm just gonna be honest That's right it's talking about the headaches too. That yeah, the headaches. You got the headaches, and then and that that was because how often like Matt Damon. That's the thing is Matt Damon can't uh, identify with almost anyone in this. He's like I don't have I don't know anyone. So when he has one thing that he can actually uh, you know something to relate to with someone, that's when he's like oh. And then you could just see them look at each other like like they're okay for a slight second before he dies. He's like. Okay, I do have some something in common with someone, and he's like, "Shit, I just killed the one person that I had something in common with, that I actually had a conversation with." That was really good. So that acting, and I mean, obviously, Clive Owen's great, but it's nice. But it also kills me. I just wish he was in it longer. Um, but so, yeah, acting nine. Uh, I think every person in this film, small, big, even Julia Stiles, which I feel like they could have had someone else, but I think it was due to who she was at the time, and. Um, I mean, it works, and they they fleshed her out in the later films. But uh, she was okay in this role. Uh, but I think every I think all people in this film, uh, even though I know that's just a general, I guess, lame statement, but it was it was very well acted as a whole, and that's why I'm going to give it a nine now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's <laughs> nobody for you who no. who kind of stood out. No, uh, not yeah. really. I think it was uh, it was an ensemble. Like it was Good. a very quality ensemble yeah. cast. Basically, yeah. that's what I'm getting. Yeah. At. <laughs> For me, I think the two, I think that there's like three strong performances in this movie. And uh, I have to though, there's three of them in particular, but I think Matt Damon was actually like, he was the linchpin of this movie. And I think that's why his casting oh. was, was, was out there. It was out of, it was out of place when they casted him. Like he wasn't, it wasn't the type of role that you would give Matt Damon at the time. Mm. It might've been like a popular role because, you know, this is a indie, this is a very well respected actor, screenwriter in Hollywood. And, you know, it, it was kind of a risk to cast him uh, because what he was yeah. known for is indie films like Goodwill Hunting and whatnot. But Damon, like he was stoic, but he was also boyish in a way. And I think this was a good choice as like during his like the state that he's in, you know, the assassin personality has been muted. So he's being so him being confused. This gives him an air of innocence and naivety. And I think that really plays well. Yeah, but yet at the same time, you can see how Bourne uses his body, how uh, Damon uses his body language to convey Bourne as uh, very tightly wound and tense, right? And you can see how easily these triggers oh, yeah. occur and how they react so well. Like he was so, he, you can tell that yeah. he put put his mind into the stunt training because that scene, for example, when he's on the bench and the two and the two like zero, oh, yeah. like get a, how quickly he responded. Yeah, that was oh. badass, you know, in terms of entertainment. But it was also like sure. you can see like the 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 precision, yeah. and the training right the then and there, right? Face. And how yeah. it's a tightly wound, right? Like. Uh, his his body language just projects this and and he sells it so well 
And, uh, and and again, that boyishness is what makes him charming. What makes him seem innocent. It makes you grab onto his character. It makes you want to find out what happened to him. It makes you emphasize with him, despite you know the nature of his profession. So, kudos to Matt Damon. Like I, I you, got, you to have a lead to do all that. I mean, that's what you really need for a movie. Because sometimes I find with the action films, even the ones that are well written, sometimes the leads are kind of bland, and the others and the side characters yeah. and the support and the villains are much more interesting. But here, I found it was well rounded. But Matt Damon to me was still like the, he was strong. Uh, same with Franca Potente. Like you could probably. I could probably guess. I don't really know her filmography that well, but this was probably her first big English language production that she was in. And I found that, like, you know, there wasn't really a feeling where she, I felt where she was like memorizing her lines and, and projecting them. Like, I felt that she was speaking, like, she knew what she was acting, when she, what she was saying in those roles. So I don't know if she, if German, like, if English is her second language or anything. I'm not sure of that because I do know foreign actors, they do have to kind of learn how to wow. learn lines in some way. But I found her utterly believable in terms of that as someone who was uh, a polyglot, like Marie would be being a gypsy type character, right? Um, she handles herself well. Um, sometimes it felt like, was she being a gypsy? Was she being like a mooch type? Or was she someone in there for the thrill? She bounced back on, bounced back a little bit for me. Uh, I can see how some people, if I'm going to be utterly, totally analytical about it, some people could say that like every now and then, like she could be considered annoying, but I don't agree with that take at all. Um, I, I think that, that, that just depends on your own subjectivity. Um, I found that she was a great partner to date to Matt Damon's born and she may, and she made him be the better person and help project it and help. Well, yeah. uh, pr- uh, what's the word? And it helped um, push his arc to where it needed to go. Right. And I found that really well. Yeah. Uh, her body language was great. And her reactions, they were convincing to everything that was going on. It was a believable person. Like when Castell jumped off the balcony and she was like, why would someone do that? Oh, yeah. It was both humorous and like, but the way she played it was so believable. Like she was utterly oh, yeah. flabbergasted and, by the whole situation. Like, and then what she the F have I got faint. myself into? Yeah. This is not oh, yeah. going to be some fun, quick yeah. ride, mm. little dalliance. Maybe I'll fool around with this guy a bit, you know, and see what happens. You know, like after that, like, you know. That was out the window completely. Well, like, yeah. and, like and when she grabs, when she gets a drink, right? Remember when she goes, she leaves the car and he gets mad at her. Yeah. But he was mad just because he's like, I'm not, I, it wasn't just being like, I, you know, I told you, you know, I'm the guy I told you to stay put, you know, make a new sandwich. Like, no, he was like, this is for, this is like, you know, for your safety. But then she was like, I need a drink. Like, I, like get away from me. Like it was one of those like moments, which is real. Like she's going through all these emotions, like mm-hmm. a normal Very person. Really. Like, yeah. I mean, I, it, to me, like, obviously I've never been in a situation like that, but you could just imagine like someone just being like, I just met this guy and now I'm like, I'm in a car. Ch- like, you know, now we're uh, fugitives anyway. So, but yes, uh, it was very believable. And um, yeah. I think I, what I liked is that her character, what Josh was saying is that because of, Marie and who she was and, and how Franco Tante made uh, p- portray the character is that she kept him grounded. Like if she, if, if it wasn't for Marie and the type of person she was, he could have reverted into like a, you know, back to a cold killer. He could or have just, just be kind dead. of, you know, yeah. Yeah. or just be dead. And then, but he just seeing her and, and making sure she's okay. And just seeing her range of emotion and just the humanity and humility yeah. and fear kept him on a straight and narrow. I think that's my opinion. 
I totally agree. I totally agree. And uh, again, the great chemistry with with Damon that that she yes. had, you know. I also like the moment too where like you believed her when like when when she finds out that Bourne was an assassin who basically yeah. tried to kill Wambozi mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Now she doesn't know that because uh, this was in his, this was his memory. The reason why Bourne doesn't kill Wambozi is because of the kids that that appears on his on his lap, and that was a moment of his conscience coming through. So you know that Bourne, there's more of a moral ambiguity with him. Like he he is not evil either. Uh, like be, even before the amnesia, right? But she was still scared. She's like, get away from me. But that was yeah. only a reflex action. And Potente exactly, I, I, I think played that really well because how she believably comes back to him particularly in the farmhouse sequence, that's when she kind of yeah. retaches to himself again because now she's accepted him for who he is and she wants to make him a better person. So even though like he's appearing as like her boyfriend to Ian and his family, right. that's actually what's actually happening there underneath the surface, right? So we'll move from Franca Potente and let's go to Chris Cooper. Uh, he was excellent. We already talked about that. Um, even when the writing is making him seem a little too almost mo malevolent and callous, he subtly, he still evokes this uh, sense of, he's just a zealous, somewhat ruthless pat pat a patriot. And that's what you get out of his character. Though there is kind of a thing where there's some darkness underneath the surface. Like maybe he's just seen shit back in the day, you know, like this is done in 2000. So it's very possible Cooper could have been a Vietnam veteran. You know, he could have been, in, he could have, been an operative in his own day so you know he's someone who's seen the world and has a cynical view of it right and cooper sold that sold that beautifully mm -hmm. a lot of situations would make cooper almost into like a father figure for um for these agents but in this situation cooper is very distant these are his soldiers these are his men these are his assets and he treats himself there's no emotional connection between them whatsoever just almost like oh no, yeah uh, yeah there's no there's no like avuncular feeling either between them like these are his agents these are his soldiers and he they have to follow the chain of command right so that's the way that uh, you know so cooper did that well brian cox as ward abbott uh he's he comes off as a flustered almost sedated harmless bureaucrat type but then he can do a machiavelli on a dime and order uh conklin's death right so he's a guy in it for himself and uh cox sells that ambiguity really well yeah particularly from his first scene where he almost looks he almost looks um, subordinate Conklin. to yeah. Chris Cooper's it's character. True, he yeah, does. You're like, Who's he, he the looks boss? frightened and afraid. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that scene when Chris Cooper's like, "Are you asking me a direct question?" You know, <laughs> you, you promise you wouldn't He's do like, that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. Also, uh, we talked about Clive Owen. Obviously, he was great. His body language, he was very, he didn't have a lot of lines in this movie, but his body oh. language sold to me that this was a professional at work, right? Like, that was yeah. really, he, he did that very well. Um, also, props to Adewale Akunea Akaji uh, as uh, Wambozi. I found that even yeah. though, like, he was playing like a generic African dictator, someone like Idi Amin, yeah. for example. He was still passionate uh, in the performance, and he believed in his character and what his character's motivations were. And, and it, like you can see that he's a narcissistic, controlling personality, right? But uh, he was he, he felt a, more, a little bit more than a plot device, and I think that's because of Adewale's performance. And again, we have shout out to Orsa Maria Guarini as Giancarlo. He was great, and even though oh yeah, he was awesome, yeah. like really good. <clears throat> I wanted to know his background. I liked him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd love a yeah, spin-off. I'd, I'd, I'd like a spin-off uh, following uh, his fishing yeah, the, the, the Fishing in Marseille featuring Giancarlo. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> and then yeah. uh even like small supporting stuff like uh like gabriel mann as danny zorn who was like the little yeah was the adjutant yeah. to like now was he adjutant to like i think he was a liaison between ward and chris cooper right that's basically yeah but i, I feel like ward had him like the I whole sp- time under him yeah and just making sure conklin's doing what he needs and that's clear i think what it what it was because yeah. obviously you know anyway but, uh, yeah he was good i liked him on that yep yeah so you know i give my takes on all the performances here and stuff and i didn't really find anything mm-hmm. awry in this movie whatsoever nope. even like the even like the actor who played the french morgue uh the you know the oh yeah first yeah. like the assistant was great how he reluctantly takes the yeah. bribe and yeah. i even and i loved like the so the pissed off boss when he comes in yeah right? he's like what is this a carnival like, how many people <laughs> yeah yeah he's like everyone's coming in here like, yeah i thought that was that was actually pretty good yeah yeah like, i thought he was good uh and uh yeah so overall i give the acting nine out of ten like i i can't find any fault with it you know Maybe there was some slight little niggles of things. Maybe there's some lines that were over the top, maybe one or two of them. But overall, like uh, acting was really high for me on this too. Okay. Um, I agree with you that the acting is really good in this movie. It's very tough to fault the acting. Um, I, I'm i not going to repeat what's <laughs> already been said. Um, at least I'll try not of to. Course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Damon is Damon's doing a really good job staying ahead of his pursuers. He, he, plays, he, he plays the... Um, that sort of naive concerned boyishness well, but then he's got that killer instinct, instinct as well, which is really yes. cool to see, to see grow. It's, and it's really because it's not revealed in a gratuitous way. It's only, it's only revealed in a, in slight ways. And every time at the, in the first half of the film that it is revealed, he's surprised by, yeah. it. you know, when he's at the embassy, that, yeah. he kind of gets into it, but he's still surprised by it. And I like that the scene in the scene in his Paris apartment, where um, where Marie goes in thinking she's onto a winner, going to have a time with him, and she's running the yeah. bath. There's no cold yeah. water. And he walks around with the knife. He, he, that is the scene, I think, where Matt Damon does everything in the movie. And I think if, if you were to watch yeah. that, I watched it a yeah. couple times. That's the scene where you see him, in my opinion, that's him acting his best because you see him concerned, worried. You see him physical. You see him kind of trying to figure it out, but also at like when he walks behind his desk and he looks through his letters, he is not mentally in his apartment because yeah. it's all kind of coming back to him. But physically he holds the, he holds command of that, of that environment. He walks like he does own the place. And I think that's really a neat, a neat thing that he does there. Like, I don't know what it is he's doing, but he is almost playing that schizophrenic kind of not schizophrenic that forgetful owner really well yeah. I, I think it's quite good yeah. he he was an unlikely action star in 2002 but right. it really does work i think he was great chris cooper oh, sorry you want to well, say something I, about well, that I, you know and i just one thing i wanted to talk about the boyishness because there's two scenes that i think are really good to show the boyishness but then again you know like he you know he's basically uh, you know, he's like a, a, a weapon of war or, you know, like a, a secret weapon. Like they were saying, like a $30 million yeah. weapon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is the boy, the boyishness part is like, yeah, obviously Matt Damon, uh, it, it, he's about 30 in this film, like actually, but he does look younger than the age. And it's funny because he walks in with like, Josh and I had also mentioned that we really want his sweater. It looks super comfy. Obviously, I don't yeah, want to have yeah. two bullet holes yeah. in the back, but I'm sure it's still warm. <laughs> um, 
But what I like is I like what he walks into the uh, the bank. Okay, and and of course they're like, who the who the fuck is this guy? He looks like a you know he's like a young kid with a with a disheveled sweater. She's like, how can I help you? Like, you clearly don't have a bank account here, and I'm not giving out scraps. She's like, here, write uh, down, uh, write down your bank account, and everyone knows it's like what? It's like what three three numbers shorter than pi, <laughs> and then he just like, and he's mm. like, he you know he kind of has that hesitant like, oh, okay, you know, and he's got that boyish look to him, and then he just writes out the number like looking at her just. Not even looking at the paper, writing it down and gives it to her. And she's like, what the fuck? Yeah. She played it cool. Like, she was like, well, yeah. What I really liked is that there was not, a, then all you do is he gives her the number and then the, the guy walks to the back to check it, but there's nothing else. It just goes right to him in the elevator. And I like that. So they don't have to be like, who are you? Like, and they just like, it worked. And you might argue, like, well, shouldn't there be more vetting? But I just like how. He just got there, and then in the elevator, and it's just him. He looks boyish again, like, "Oh, I got here. I'm doing it. You know, what do I? I don't really know what to expect, but I got through <laughs> the front door, and we'll go from there." You know, and I like that. And uh, and there's other examples yeah. of that too, where like he's got that boyishness look, but he's also got that fierceness of of his training. And I think Matt Damon pulls that off very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just want to add that yeah. story. Yeah, he does. No, he does. He does. Um, uh, we talked about Chris Cooper. I'm not going to go back there. I think he does well in role that we've seen other actors do. We've seen uh, we, we've seen movies with this type of role, though. And I'm sorry, guys. I know it's not the same thing, okay? So don't bring your military <laughs> and police intelligence on my ass here with this. But this this is a role that reminds me of Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. And I, I know there's not that same personal connection because, as you said, that's more of a – like the relationship grows as more of a fatherly figure or let me help you through this type thing with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. I get it. I know it's not the same. But there is that guy behind the scenes who is the man trying to coordinate and trying to capture and trying to do it. Now, he's all above the law. Like obviously as a U.S. Marshal, we're seeing him above the law, not behind the law. But I still feel like if I'm watching this movie and Chris Cooper's – performance is making me think of Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive, then, you know, he's not really managing to make it completely his own. And for that reason, I think I like Chris Cooper in the role, but he's making me think of other performances Mm -hmm. in other movies. So he's doing a good job, but it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not taking me out of anything. Yeah, I mean, Conklin's still a bit of a worm, you know? Oh, yeah. I did did found that Conklin was more... uh, Subtle performance, I, I, I think, and who was in charge, really. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely the more subtle performance, but also the lesser of the two because he's not, he doesn't have as much no. screen time. Clive Owen, Clive Owen is very good. Uh, he's the bad guy that we follow until villainy is completely taken out of yeah. it with his death scene, right? So we know he's not because they're, they're all the same. They're all brothers, as, yeah. we, as we've said. But uh, you, get, you get the idea, don't you, that they could have been pals – or servicemen together in a different life. I think that's deliberate. Julia Stiles, yep, she gets shafted. We've already talked about it. Um, I don't know, man. Like Nikki, Nick, Nicole, Nicolette, Nicolette, uh, Nicolette, Nicolette, Nicolette. Okay, right. Nicolette. Chew on that. Slip <laughs> yeah. the patch yeah. on my shoulder. <laughs> Chew on this. I, I do, I do feel though. Like, who's going to have that job? Who wants that job? Like, job. she always seems to be playing her scenes stressed yeah. out or shredding paper or like sweating at the keyboard. Yeah. Like who, who wants that job? Like she doesn't look like she can even hold her own in this career. Like she's an intern that's wow. about to get yeah. shafted. Yeah, exactly. Like 
it's it's not a job I would like. Her readings, her readings were a little bit forced for me. I yeah, must say, like I agree, and maybe it's because of her youth. Maybe it's because of what she's done in the past. But she came out a bit dull, yeah. a bit. I blunt feel she was the weakest link out of all the characters. Oh, but yeah. maybe, yeah. but I, I also I feel I think you. that's yeah. it's not like Ray Charles could have seen that. Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's right. It's not really un- unearthing a crazy yeah. uh, no, stone no. here. Uh, okay. Shout out to Giancarlo. We've talked about Guarini's performance. It's a small, but he's yeah. good. He's good. I want to give I want to give, um, give Tim Dutton's Eamon. I want to give like, him a yeah. shout out yeah. here as well yep. because do you know what? As, as the put upon ex boyfriend or ex lover, now turned father of three or father of two, like the kids are about my my <laughs> yeah, kids' right. age. I'm. He looks tired as fuck, and I understand yeah. <laughs> why he looks tired. And he looks at her, and it's like, this ex-girlfriend's, oh, I'm trying to get my kids out of the Jeez, car, then you can go to the fucking toilet. Like, oh, for fuck's sake, what are you doing here again? Why, are you, why is the door open? Like, what <sighs> are you doing? All right, fine. I got a room. Just give me a minute. Let me, god damn it. You know, like, he plays that really well. And I feel like I can sympathize with him a little bit, not because Bourne has come to my farmstead, <laughs> but because you know, he, he's tired and stressed out. And this person from the past is now coming in. So I thought that was pretty good, <laughs> but uh, yeah, who else? I mean, I agree with, I agree with uh, what Josh had said that uh, Kinawai Agbaji yeah. is, is just it's very good as Rambosi. Yeah. He, he does a great job as that exiled dictator and he is, he's crazy and his eyes are piercing and he's mean and he's mad. And, and he, but at the same time, you're like, he wants to know what the hell's going on yeah. as well, because he, He's almost acting like a guy who others are telling him you're crazy, but no, he shot a guy in the back twice and he fell off his boat. So you tell me there are no bullet holes in this man's back. Yeah. So it's not the guy. And you see the way the camera looks and shoots that scene in the morgue too, where his face is like, it's like right up to the yeah, camera. Like, almost. You know, not, it's intense. Yeah. Anyway, my mark for acting was eight. My mark for acting was eight. Uh, it's tough to fault, but it's it's a it good is. mark, it's, man. It's, like it's, it's it's a good mark. I was wavering I ag- between eight and nine, and I agree yeah. that Damon is Damon's the best. Damon is the best thing in, in oh, this picture, yeah. though. And about, uh, for a first, for a first, it's really good. Yeah. What what did you think about yeah. Franco Patent? Uh, I said I wasn't going to repeat too much. My notes are almost identical okay. to your guys's. Okay. Uh, her character is a convenient match for Bourne because of that sort of background, but it is also believable. I think she has agency in the film, but it's it's not an agency that is unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, it's not like a Jinx sidekick no. kind of thing. It's a. I, I go with. Oh, it. there's agency in the okay film. It. It's and, the CIA. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the central. <laughs> the central. I thought her acting was. I thought her acting was good. All right. So there we go. There's the acting. Yeah. So let's jump into the uh, atmosphere of atmosphere. the born identity. I'll start with the atmosphere. Um, let's okay. go into the production design, for example. So if you look at the uh, interior sets for the CIA, cold, <laughs> like cold, but like the. I like how they're cramped offices. You know, they have like yeah. they have like those yeah. big ass computer monitors. There's like a microwave you can see like in the first shot when Danny's woman <laughs> walks in uh, with, with guys getting coffee. So you can tell they're like bunkered down there. And this is like, it's so cluttered too, right? So you can see how this is like a basement operation. Like this is almost like yeah. someone gave money yeah. to Fox Mulder so that and he could run well, a, I was a gonna whole say, paranormal, like, yeah. like <laughs> international, like agency you know this is fox Mulder with funding in in, in the basement of langley essentially is I'm not what gonna it is. lie i was looking to see if there was pencils on the ceiling but i didn't see it <laughs> that's why yeah i was looking <laughs> to be to be fair conklin seems like the type of guy that would be covering up that shit right so so there you go 
the like I found all of the interior sets, they looked believable. They didn't seem like overly ostentatious. Yeah, they didn't seem like they were, you know, uh or or they weren't too like and but they or they weren't too stripped, you know. Like there was a good amount of clutter in there that made it feel lived in, and that's what I liked about it. And that really matched yeah, with, the, was with the, the exterior. Right and that really matched with the exterior set, with the exterior shooting, like the on-location filming, like in Prague and in uh, which was doubled partly for Zurich, and they also filmed in Zurich too. And of course, in Paris, like I really felt like you were on, you were there with Bourne on when they filmed there, and it felt believable. Like yeah. as people, regular people yeah. walking those streets, like a good control of extras, like they did all that really well with all the locations. Um, but the cinematography, like there was a realistic approach with the steady cam, but there's also some beautiful shots too of like Bourne walking the bridge across the Seine. And then of course you have that lovely opening shot, you know, very ominous with like the lightning and the storm and Bourne's body floating in the water, uh, which gets fantastically bookended later on in the series, which I, which is what mm. the moment I really love. Uh, yep. All that was really well done. Uh, the, the mix of standard cinematography with like that steady cam kind of look Yep. They blended those styles really well together. Um, the farmhouse, I'm glad they kept that in aesthetically. Like you get that tease of domestic bliss. The suspense of home invasion and death is, is building up. And you get that game of cat and mouse in the field outside with no music. Like all of these features, yep. the, the set designs, the, the camera work and, and the sound design like work so well in conveying the realism of the story to me and bringing it to, down to earth so that I could relate to it, that I could... I was I was I was taken in by it. I wasn't I wasn't like taken out of it by a huge Ken Adams type set or some like uh, or or something that where I saw like there was budget mm -hmm. there was yeah, budget restrictions yeah and stuff well, like exactly th mm -hmm. that was really well done to me. Lots of location yeah. shooting. Well, yeah. That's I would agree with you. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And finally, like I think John Powell did a great job with the score. Like the orchestral flourishes, like they're so moody and they yep. accompany the visuals so well. And Another iconic. Like, even then the techno motifs, which gave it a kind of a modern twist where they're trying to go for the audiences, something different right. from like that mm -hmm. traditional John Barry, Jerry, uh, John, Jerry Goldsmith kind of action score. Uh, they, did, they did something different here, which was really interesting. Um, it serves that modern Euro spy element, but it also underlines the set pieces and it makes them exciting uh as as well so i think yeah atmosphere was on all cylinders for this particular movie uh, you know and i gave it nine out of ten mm. yeah wow okay nice one all right jeff hurry uh, so i haven't heard your dulcet tones in a oh, few moments you're welcome uh so it's uh <laughs> eight and a half i'm gonna give it an eight and a half um uh, one thing i did want to mention is like what josh was saying i, I think with uh the way they when you go to the different locations, especially when when Bourne's trying to figure out like, you know, who am I and like let's ch let's check the apartment and all that kind of stuff, it was there wasn't a lot of clutter, which makes me which makes sense because if he's just living there, but almost just sort of like on standby, if he has to go somewhere, it's got the right amount of accoutrement or uh, whatever to live in, but just sparsely because he's an agent, he doesn't he doesn't need like tons of shit, he doesn't need like you know whatever it's he's got like the four he's got like he's got good equipment of course it's probably funded by the cia but everything in that apartment like it's pretty sparse but it's got what it what he needs and clearly from what he is as an agent he knows exactly what he needs to do things and that's all he needs yeah and and so that's why i liked and that's why i thought it was pretty blue i get on this rewatch when i was seeing it, all the different locations you know he was going to uh it it the the atmosphere made sense. The inside the you know the bank, the embassies, all this stuff 
it, it made sense. I, I, I liked the filming and, and the look of the boat inside, like, uh, you know, and uh, when he was living on the boat, I really enjoyed that scene because it, it kind of, it was early on with the atmosphere. It made you feel like he was trying to be one of the crew. Like, obviously, he's one of these kind of, you could see, like, we don't know who this who this guy is yet, but you could already see that he already kind of knows, like, he needs to, he needs to work. And obviously he's paying a debt because they saved his life. So, um, you know, just seeing like how he's that sort of the atmosphere of the boat. And like, he's now a brother, he's helping them bring in the fish. And I liked how that was shot and and the the atmosphere there. But um, again, you could, there's a lot of coldness in this film. It was a very, it was very, uh, you know, with the different locations, it was clearly winter. And uh, I just like how they, they, the atmosphere felt cold. Like, you know, you could see him like cold on the bench uh, and I, I always thought it was funny that he threw off the coat, but made, made me think like it was just so that he wouldn't recognize him because the cops would give a description that he was in a red coat. Because I'm like, man, I would not throw off a nice mm. winter coat yeah. like that. But uh, but for the atmosphere, again, like the I, I liked how um, like Josh was saying with the the cat the cat and mouse game in, in the field there, like um, the way that was shot. Uh, I liked the the uh, the hominess of the farm. It looks like, you know, it's obviously been like a retrofitted farm to make it like a nice house. <laughs> and I like that look. Um, and again, with the, the coldness of the CIA and the offices there, it looked very dark. Like, uh, and even like, I don't know, that's got to be the most depressing friggin' cafeteria I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Holy shit. Oh, I know. And, and right? There was a person Ooh. in the foreground. She's going through like her, her notes and eating. Like, I'm like, that's a freak, man. Like that's, that's like, what is that? That's probably, it's almost as bad as like hospital cafeterias. And I was like, man, it didn't remind <laughs> you know, me of, so of that's, yeah, it's pretty bleak. It didn't remind bleak. me of that it's scene in bleak. mission impossible in the, in the first mission impossible where, uh, Claire's character, where she puts the, where she drugs the, the guy's coffee or whatever. It was like, Oh yeah. 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 yeah it, it reminded me of that, is that the same cafeteria. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so again, atmosphere, I gave it a eight and a half because I, I felt like, you know, even with, um, the way that the streets were shot and like the alleyways, like the way it was lit, like, you know, and I always like when they have sort of, you know, the wet, like post rainy or currently raining streets like that, the lighting and, and, you know, when they, uh, they assassinate Conklin there. The sound uh, effects of the silencer and that, yeah, that silencer. Well, that's the other thing. Thwap, the thwap. sound. Yeah. The sound effects, the sound effects for the Bourne films are, uh, yeah, good. and it, it, I think it won almost for every. I'm not okay. Uh, you know, our listeners can can follow up on that, but I I was because the uh, the action scenes and like the the bone breaking, like, all those sounds, like the atmosphere, like it really brings you. That's one of the things I find with the Bourne films is like, ooh, yeah, that's that's one thing that that makes the atmosphere. Uh, so sort you know right in your face is the sound effects uh so i i give the i give the atmosphere eight and a half for sure uh and that's a positive rating for me <laughs> what were your thoughts on the music jeff i like the music uh the music uh i mean it's not it wasn't like a big thing for me but i thought it was well done and obviously like uh, the, the motifs in the score is iconic now because people use it in films and tv shows and you just have that little note, or even even the Moby song is used, and people just know that they're they're sort of you know 
referencing or doing an homage to the board movies because yeah. everyone knows it. And I, and it's, it's well used. And again, it's tough because sometimes with that style and we know with like the board, uh, the bond films and other films of the time trying to use that techno style doesn't always hold up well, but it's okay with this film. And I think uh, it also, I think maybe it helps because it's based in Europe. So maybe that makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I like the score, yeah, I but so. I also like how it's not the, there's music all over everything. It's like a lot of the fight scenes, there's no music, which makes it that more sort of in your face. And that's where the sound editing and the sound effects uh, make the, the violence that much more like jarring and captivating. Yeah. Like you can see hmm. like with the, yeah. uh, with the, with the Paris apartment fight there, that's when they put the music yeah. to the fighting. Yeah, exactly. Because that was like a, yeah. that was supposed to be like a set piece kind of scene, right? This was supposed to be a cool badass moment they wanted to show. Right. And then you have, for example, like uh, the professor versus born in the outside the farmhouse, you know, in the field and whatnot. And, you know, that had no music whatsoever. Even the sequence, the climatic sequence, like we're born, man, when he does that drop off the balcony and down, down the stairwell and shoots the guy on the way down, uh, even yeah. though that is oh, so like, even, that, that even, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, even though like that was almost, it could be considered on paper, unbelievable how they filmed it and how Jumping they edited it and, and how they, and how it sounded and put everything, put everything together. Yeah. Like it's still, yeah, yeah. I, I bought it like, because he uses the, oh, yeah. the, the big, I mean, the big guy's uh, weight. And then, you know, yeah, and, sure. and it was a desperate move and it worked out for him. And that's why I believe it. Yeah. It wasn't like it was planned that he, I didn't, I didn't no? believe in that. I didn't believe in that. I was well, a couple of things. That, I got to pick. Sure. Apart I didn't like that. Because because I didn't, but I didn't, I didn't believe in that. I, I wasn't exactly expecting a slide whistle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I wasn't exactly <laughs> yeah. expecting it, but that's the moment. That's the moment I was talking about. It's the tough. Roger well, yeah, moment. Yeah. Exactly. That's that, everyone. Yeah. Why did he have to do that? He had the advantage. Yeah, he, he had gotta, he had the height. Yeah, he had no the perspective. Really. Why did he have to push the body and do that? He could have just fucking waited for the guy to come up. Hi ho, silver. He away. had the higher ground. There was only one guy coming up the stairs. Why did he? Have he to do did it? have like a he did have an automatic weapon. Like he had a machine, a submachine gun of some kind. But he could have easily. I I think they could have done it where he could have like you know like kind of like. Yeah. around or something like that right strafed back and forth yeah or and maybe yeah. he could i don't know and he still could have fallen fallen off from like a lower like a lower distance and hurt his leg so at least and they could have like that you know like how they trick you right where they have born limping and then they have conklin limping at the same time yeah that was, and it that makes was you good. think that Mannheim is about, yes, is about yeah, to kill yeah, born yeah. but it's actually yeah. Mannheim is killing conklin right so yeah yeah Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I, but yeah, that, so Jeff's eight and a half on that. But the flying carpet dead body thing, I wasn't. I don't like that personally. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. I mean that that was the only part of the film that looked to me like it was digitally enhanced. Quite. Yeah. Honestly. That well, it's true. I bet David the, definitely the, did not do that. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Spoiler well, alert. But my point is. If you compare yeah. the visual effects in this film to Die Another Day <laughs> from the same year, this is you can tell which one in post production was really yeah. rushed, right? Because Die Another Day, the, the it, surfing. And sequence. I mean, if you listen to the, yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. He's surfing. Yeah, the surfing sequence, but also a couple of touches with the invisible car oh, too, yeah. right? Like if you look at, if you if you listen to the special features, the documentary that goes yeah. on the DVD. Anyway, it explains how that nobody really was looking at. Pierce Brosnan. They weren't worried about those <laughs> effects holding the pan glider. They were worried about the yeah. water. And the water in that scene actually looks fucking good. Like the CGI they did with the wave, that stuff's really good. The it's just 
it's just the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. Anyway, getting off, getting off point. Right. Okay. So you're eight and a half, Josh, you're nine for atmosphere. I was seven and a okay. half for atmosphere. This is my lowest mark. Um, Oliver Wood was a DP. Yeah. Right? He, he filmed a lot of action films. This film does look really good for what it offers. That's kind of how I feel anyway. Like mainly though, we get the external shots of cities, yeah. the interior spaces, like the hotel room. I agree with what Jeff is saying. An agent's room is not necessarily going to be decorated with mom cross stitches <laughs> and yeah. fucking, you know, pictures of your high school buddies yeah. and stuff. It's not necessarily going to be that way. But I thought some of these interior spaces were dead. Yeah, and okay, dead. thematically, really? thematically, you can say, you could say, yeah, that's kind of deliberate. And I'm like, okay, I'll go with that a little bit. But they don't all have to be dead and darkly <laughs> yeah. lit. The okay. diner doesn't have to be dead and darkly <laughs> lit. Not everything has to be Fair. dead. The whole film is claustrophobic and tight and dark. The whole film. Yes. Now, I don't necessarily mind that. It's winter. We've got, we, you know, you've got coverage in big stone cities. You know, you've got these big architectural spaces where you can hide these alleyways. I like yeah. that. I mean, remember, I'm the guy that said I wanted 10 or 15 minutes more of this yeah. film. So. I'm, I'm not criticizing that, but I would like there to be a bit of light because when Mykonos comes in at the yeah, end so bright, like, and he tracks her down selling Vespas, it's just like, whoa, yeah. where are we? And it's not until I, – I would argue really that it's not until we get to the farmhouse yeah. that we got either bit of exhale and open space in the film. Mm. Everything else is like like rat in a cage, moving, moving. Like the highway – we got a couple of highway shots where things are moving and, and, quickly. And, and open, the train. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yes, that's true. But that's but only moving from one, <laughs> in, one yeah. city to another, you know, where we're just going to trade this interior for that interior, yes. this darkness yeah. for that darkness. So I felt like in terms of the color scheme and in terms of the – like I understood it, but that, the color scheme a bit though, oppressive, a little bit oppressive. It was bl- like yeah, a blue tint. Kind of thing for the time though. Yeah, that blue tint was very popular at that time. Yeah, totally. Those type of films. And before with Ronan well, too, it's all yeah, over that yeah, film yeah. as well. Like especially yeah. when he's inside the embassy, it's almost uh, like a greenish tint. That's almost like it's so institutional, yeah. right? Like it looks so cool. Yeah. Like oh, it felt like it was like a library or like you're like at a university library or something. It's like oh god, yeah. more like the <laughs> Soviet right, Union yeah. more so than Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's yeah, yeah. Let's go see Google's desk somewhere. Um, in there. <laughs> I like. I, I would like to, I think we've already said this. I'd like to have seen more of Zurich. Yep. I'd like to have seen a little bit more of the agent in Rome, although I yeah. know why they went for the montage yep. yeah, they sure. did. And I do like the montage. It's sure. pretty cool. Yep. But um, one thing I do want to mention is, um, did you notice that when Bourne gets off the fishing boat, right? And we've got that long shot. It's a slow shot of like him long, walking yep. out to the street. We follow in him. And then you see the sit, then you see the town, the fishing village, the yep. town opens up. And you're like, okay. And you follow the camera stops and you watch him go. And then that blue van comes or the blue truck comes and he disappears behind it. That sleight of hand. I really like that at the very beginning of the film because it suggests this guy's going to be good at evading capture. And then at the end, it marries up nicely when he just sort of appears in the doorframe after you see Marie turn from it. The camera just kind of has that sleight of hand. So there's consistency there with the camera work. And I I, I thought that was really neat. Um, I just wonder if there are any other moments in the film like that that I missed where deliberately the character is made to be there one moment and then disappear another moment. Because I thought that was deliberate in both of those Well, the scene on the bridge, right? But I might like have missed After the whole scene of the safe house, you see Bourne go onto the bridge and then the camera yeah, moves yeah. away, looks at the water off the – you know, we get a nice look at the scene. And, it and comes he's gone. Hands back and then he's gone, right? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. 
So that that's definitely and a stylistic he, thing that and, they're they're. And then he pops there. up in Mikinos, right? So in, we're in, in Mikinos, yeah. yeah, right. Oh, I thought this was cool too. How Marie, right? Where you remember she she and he they're in the hotel and she wakes up and she's got this Corfu T shirt. Oh on, yeah, right? I thought that that's was kind of nice cool because she ends, up, answer, yeah. <laughs> she ends yeah. up there at the yeah. end of the movie. Um, in terms of the in, in terms of the music. Yeah, this is okay. This is a decent score by John Powell. I thought like you got, you've got scores before this though that are doing similar things. And listen, I can't believe that the words are about to come out of my mouth, but they are. I think this score is taking a little bit of Euro style from that Eric Seraf score from <laughs> Goldeneye. I th- I felt I think I it don't think you're wrong. And I I mean that's just. Uh, yeah. This is seven years before. Not 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 the big underwater submarine hammer that clong clong yeah, stuff. Nothing like yeah, that. Yeah. But submarine you've got, hammer. You've got a plucking like <laughs> <laughs> you've got the synth xylophone going on. You've got the plucking guitar yep, yep. thing. There's there's no brass or woodwind in this score mm, at all from no. anything I can hear. Apart from maybe one bassoon, yeah. I think, or, well, or that an oboe or something like, that plays yeah, the, the board. Don't assume yeah. the bassoon. It could be something else. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's a bassoon. I'm going to put That's money fine. on that. Um, mostly, though, it's just strings and synth beat, right? Strings and yeah. synth beat and ambience yep. and ambience. And they're very French, very European flavor to the score. That's why I kind of wonder if Eric Serra, maybe not this move, maybe not Goldeneye, but Goldeneye, seven years in the cultural intelligence. Well, Luc know? Besson, right? Is like this the professional, for example, Luc Besson, uh, yeah, the fifth element, right? So that Euro, that Euro yeah, style. Yeah. I can see Lehman being an independent filmmaker. You know, that's and the video game too. The video game is big as well, and the video game music is better than the film music. Yes, I think. Oh, yes. Goldeneye's video game music expands a bit, right? The and Born, by the way, the Born just, video game that came out after this film was horrible. Yeah. I tried it. I, it? Oh, yeah. it was bad. This it was trying to be of, like a GTA. Well, it was. It was. Yeah, I haven't gone there yet. No, that's okay. I just <laughs> I, I tried it, but I was like, I'll check I think it Josh out. and I tried to play it. I, I think it was on PS2. Anyway, I'm not, I recall, I, maybe I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. If, if, it, if I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to put put these things. No, no, together. no. I I'm just wondering if. If maybe Eric Sarah, like if the score had something, some influence to it, you know. But my thoughts on the score overall, the music overall, is it's important for a, for a film like this. But um, there's, I mean, if if you listen, if you listen to that cue, is it like uh, Hotel yeah. Regina? I think is or it's right. the uh, mm-hmm. the cue. If you listen to that, I get a bit of Goldeneye vibe. I just do. I get Goldeneye vibe from that one. Then you get then you get cues like uh, bridge number nine or bridge or pump Pont- yeah. whatever it is. That's that's a great track. Like that's a really cool cue and it's very Bondian. Like I mean, very yes. Bondian, but not necessarily in a golden eye way. There's just a lot of derivative Bond feel, and I just think it's yeah. I think that's Mood. right. It's like kind of 
I don't know, mood. Yeah, but it's not Barry mood either. Like Thunderball mood. Uh, yeah. There's something cool about the way John Powell is working yeah. here. Yeah. But I don't think it's all him. I think he's borrowing yeah. and I, I think it's okay. It, yeah, it's, it's okay. Fine. But you know, a year before this, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, uh, the, the Redford film, Spy Game. Oh, I, Brad yes, Pitt. So, Josh. But, um, okay. That's a good Josh movie. Josh, I did that's see that movie. Um, that I can attest to. Uh, Harry Gregson Williams, who's one of Zimmer's clones, right? Or one of his protégés. Yeah. He did Spy Game. And that's actually a yep. cool score if you want to check out a similar, different sort of sound. It, it's quite cool. So check that one out if you're if you're interested with a score that tries to accomplish what Powell's doing here. Uh, my last point on atmosphere, guys, before I give you my mark and we sign off, is on the editing. Um, wow. I was pleased with with this feature here. I remember incorrectly, I think. I remember this film being way too frenetic. I misremembered it. Or maybe I, I mischaracterize the editing as being way too frenetic. Perhaps the other Paul films Greengrass. go there with like super fast, super fast yeah. cuts. But I, I, I don't think that the action here, when it appears, is is edited badly. In fact, it's, I think like I don't know. I'm not making myself clear. In my mind, I, I had I had this in my mind: punch, cut, reverse shot, cut, punch, punch, cut, cut, punch, yeah. cut, reverse shot, punch. And that's that's not what we get here. What you get here is maybe four punches and a cut, then two punches and a kick and a cut. So the actors get time to breathe between the action, but it is more fluid than that sort of just really all over the place editing. The, the, I thought that's what I was going to be getting uh, right here, and I'm I was really pleased that the first the born first film, born film didn't exactly. didn't do that, you know? Because and, and I, yeah. I I watched well, actually I watched the feature being like how. It was like how the board movies ruined action movie editing because then they started to do this, but do the cheap version of this, where the first born film it does all the homework and does the cuts, but it's the act where like the taken movies, they just they do these faint cuts and make it look like they're doing those kind of action. But whereas the yeah, born identity, yeah. they are doing that action, but they are cutting it in certain ways and shooting it in different ways, so they actually do the full motion. And they're, so even though they're doing shortcuts, it's still the f- full action and choreography. Whereas the other films and similar films going like for the next decade that try to mm-hmm. do this are, are, are doing little cheats and feints to, to get that feel. Yes. Right. So this, nice. this, this well, one was the best example of how to do it properly. Yeah. And then, I think people so, yeah. just got and also got lazy and, and, and just got exactly yeah. that's what it was. It was yeah. a cookie cut. Yeah. Yeah. But this one, even though even though they like you were saying, the editing is very good and the editing, the audio, you put it together, it's it's absolutely excellent. And again, it's still twenty mm-hmm. years on it, it it still holds up very well. Mm-hmm. This film being holds up really well. This is one of the best examples of an action film. Uh, that even though it's dated, like being two decades old, still holds up very well, and that's why I was very happy to see that again. Josh and I both said, like, you know what, we were like, okay, we're watching it again. Let's be objective. We're like, man, this movie still. First thing I said, like, this movie still holds up really friggin' well. Well, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. I think I think guys that uh, brings yeah, us to I an end because uh, my mark for at- my mark for atmosphere was seventy seven point five. So my total money pennies or. Nikki's. What are we going to do? <laughs> Nikki notes. Yeah. Nikki notes. Uh, Nikki notes. <laughs> Nikki yeah. notes. Yeah. Okay. My total Nikki notes says 24.5 out of 30. Uh, Jeff, you're just ahead of me at 25. And Josh, you uh, are 27 oh. out of 30. So, yeah. We we all like this movie is what we're saying. And I don't know. There, I Look, 
One of the things we haven't talked about today, and we're not going to, we decided we weren't going to do this, is get into the whole born versus uh, bond debate. Maybe we can mm-hmm. do that later in the season. Maybe we can do that. But many people pick a pick a franchise right. and they state right. that. They're quite religious about what's better. I'm quite happy to live in a world with, <laughs> with both. Yeah. And I like this movie a lot. I think this movie has a lot to offer. And if it has informed Craig's films, all the better for James Bond. Yes. All the better for James Bond. If Bond has informed these films, all the better for these films. Like, I, you know, it's a continuum and I don't see anything wrong with sharing the love, but this is a good movie. It's a good movie. And I'm really glad that Jeff recommended it because I wouldn't have gone back and watched it again if you hadn't. And <laughs> oh, you're yeah, I, I, no, it's, I wouldn't. Be. I would have, I would have stayed in that place of nah, nah, whatever. I'm right. I think I don't really very like happy. It, I do like that it. You enjoyed it on the rewatch. Yeah, very yeah, much. Even so. though it's been quite some time. I mean, I know I'm biased cause uh, you know, we do this podcast together, but uh, your insight and your, um, your sort of um, your revisiting of it is refreshing and appreciated. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see that you did enjoy it uh, the second time around. So it's good. Do I go on? Do I watch the others? That's the question. Uh, should. Watch, watch the trilogy. Yeah. My the advice. Three. Don't the watch three. the ones after. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, perhaps someday down the road, we could even just like take a look at the born trilogy as a whole and, uh, you know, uh, and, and analyze that. And I think we were talking about, as you mentioned to me, you're currently uh, enjoying The Americans. You're, you're near the end mm-hmm. of the third season. Uh, both Jeff and I have seen it. Uh, sometime, sometime down the road, it would be kind of fun to devote an episode to that too and discuss, yeah. you know. See what sort of Bondian moments we can find in The in the Americans. Uh, exactly. For fans of exactly. espionage mm-hmm. shows, it, I'm just saying of recent things that have come out that's, that's good quality um, is uh, the show The Old Man, if anyone likes that CIA kind of stuff or something like that. It's so good. Oh, oh with Jeff it's, Bridges. It's very good. I, I've heard, I heard that was really like good. That. It's, it's also effects, I think, actually, as well. So nice one. To the Americans, anyways. Uh, I, I recommend that one. <laughs> well, guys, our listeners are going to want to know what's next because we've, we've taken them through this Born Identity rewatch. Our, our three non-bods are now firmly uh, off. We've got the blimp. With The blimp is floating. We, we've got mm. the first movie done. We're going to introduce the second movie now. Is it okay if I go is it okay if i do that yeah absolutely yeah okay so i'd like to introduce now what film we're going to be watching and talking next on the show and we're going back to the director of ronin we're going to go back to john frankenheim oh we're going to watch a little movie from 1964 called the train with burt lancaster you know the train oh with uh with burt lancaster uh, and uh paul schofield Schofield. Uh, good old thomas moore Nice. Yep. There it is. The uh, the train. That's the. Is that, that the I one that's based on the, on the train robbery? To. Is that the one? Is that the one? Yeah. The, yeah, the, the Nazi art. Oh, like, the art. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Great. I've been great. I've been seeing yeah, so much so of Burt Lancaster gonna, lately for the Noirs, so that's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a different pick for me. Not technically in the spy realm. But very much in the Bond okay. realm, so I'm, I'm happy with that. Cool, I'm happy with that. Awesome, definitely. Yeah. So the train from 1964. You guys watch it, listeners. You, you watch it and uh, back cool. your bond by numbers. Right, and we'll be reviewing that next in our three non bonds. Yeah. All right. Exciting. We mm-hmm. hope you enjoyed this episode. 
For sure. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Get you back here on Bomb by Numbers very soon with a ride on the train. <laughs> Not Trevelyan's train, just a different train. Or Octopussy Circus train. <laughs> but if you want to wear a gorilla suit, go right ahead. <laughs> right, guys. Thanks very much. Take care.